For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And we'll get to our morning paper review uh, in a few minutes' time, but uh, we'll take this opportunity to speak to uh, Donica O'Leary uh, of Sinn Féin, who voted against uh, Helen McEntee in the motion of no confidence because he's available right now. Good morning, Donica. Good morning, Mick. Okay, it was a foregone conclusion, I think. Uh, the dogs in the street were predicting that it would, uh, if not be an easy win, uh, it would be a win. Can I just uh, take a moment of your time just to kind of set the scene, if we were, uh, if we will, on the no-confidence motion? In the last few weeks in Cork, we had a petrol bombing and two shootings. In the petrol bombing in Onslow Gardens, a number of children were very fortunate to escape without injury. Earlier in the year, we had other shootings and some very serious assaults and incidents. And those real-world consequences exist for Cork and many other places. And the last cohort of 126 Gardaí, one Garda, came to Cork. We've had four this entire year. 10% of the population in County Cork. Four additional Gardaí. And, you know, this has been a political issue in Cork for years now. And I've raised it directly with a number of ministers at this stage. And we have the same routine every time. A minister comes down... The local senior ministers, they meet with the superintendent, oh, things are going to change, things are going to improve, we're going to make an investment. We get a couple of probationers over Christmas and they go back home in the new year. The same thing again and again. And it's leading to the situation where communities feel neglected and terrified when incidents like what's happened in in Cork City recently, what's happened in Dublin recently, occurs. I had calls to ring a guard station on Saturday night, a 24-hour guard station, just to clarify, on behalf of a constituent. Rang three times, rang out every time. I don't even blame, blame the Gardaí in that station. I'm sure they were dealing with very urgent matters. The fact is, nobody was there to pick up the pieces because the Gardaí station, the Gardaí have been left to absolute neglect. Way behind targets, Gardaí leaving in their absolute droves. No, that's your good self, Donica, and that kind of really sets out your emotions and your uh, intent, I suppose, to vote uh, for the motion and vote against Helen McEntee. Yeah, well, look, I mean, you can hear my frustration there, and I'm not alone in that. Um, and I think the, the general public is, is is quite frustrated. Like, look, the issues that happened in Dublin Thursday a week ago, obviously, I suppose, was the final straw. And I think it was frightening and worrying to see Gardaí, you know, who themselves as individuals show great courage and resolve, the kind of courage and the commitment that we expect from the Gardaí and that we, we owe them a great deal for how much they, they risk their own welfare to protect us. Um, but they were left exposed, really, and a lot of them ended up isolated. And it seems to me that there was a systems failure. Um, the the numbers were not on hand to respond adequately and quickly to the kind of public order situation that we saw. But like this has been building for some time. And, okay, and, you, you, and know, you, I spoke, you, you're, you're contending the book stops with Helen McEntee. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, okay. she's been minister for a number of years. Now, Fine Gael as well, in general terms, have been in government now for 12 years. In 12 years, there are less Gardaí and there are less Gardaí stations. They set themselves, under Charlie Flanagan in 2018, they set themselves a target of 21,000 Gardaí staff, including um, 15,000 um, enrolled Gardaí. Sorry, 13,000 enrolled Gardaí. They're 1,000 short of the enrolled Gardaí, but they're actually about 4,000 short in terms of overall Gardaí staff from the civilian staff and Gardaí result. Like, it is no wonder that you're having a situation where, um, you know, and here in Cork, you have Garda stations, such as, for example, Mahan, which has gone from 31 Garda in 2009 uh, and down to about 17 now. Uh, and Garda stations like that, and like, I mean, I think of places like Carrigaline and Balancholic, where the population is growing rapidly, have they enough cars to cover the ground? 
at night. Usually there's only one car one car in both of those places. If they get a call, they're dragged away to uh, outside the area, potentially if there's not cover and passage or Crosshaven or Douglas or whatever. Like that's that's simply not good enough. It is leading to the public do notice when response times are down, when a uh, call isn't followed up. And like, look, they can't, the Gardaí themselves can't do the miracles and issues. Like, you know, they can't be two places at once. You need boots on the ground. But they've missed the targets. Like, that target that was that they've missed so significantly was for two years ago. And and the problem is, is that Garda morale is so low uh, that Garda are leaving their droves and we're not getting enough into Templemore. Uh, in the first couple of years of Mac- McAtee's reign, um, they weren't even taking the maximum cohort in Templemore that they should have been taking. Okay, so, I, I'll but, agree with you on a number of points, Donico Lira. Uh, number one, we have the same number of Garda as we had 20 years ago with one million more in population. Number two, the Garda almost um, en masse took industrial action and uh, when that really didn't happen because it really can't. Uh, they voted in serious numbers and a high percentage a vote of no confidence in their own Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. Morale and we've spoken to uh, various uh, representatives of the Garda Representative Association in this programme all time low, danger all time high, wages not attractive, kind of very much like uh, the Defence Forces. Let's take all that as a given. Um, how can you singularly blame one minister? Well, like I mean, one, I think it's important to, to establish all that, and I don't necessarily think that you take it as a given. But like the way the system works, Mick, is I suppose the minister has political responsibility. Um, there are a lot of people in the system. There are a lot of people who have responsibility, but ultimately the buck stops with the minister uh, who is at the top of it. And it's not that she's there overnight either. She's there uh, since this government was was formed. So she's there uh, well in excess of three years, going on four years now. Um, so she has had time to turn around the situation. Did she inherit a bad situation? She did. But has she done anything to turn around? No, she hasn't. In fact, in some respects, things have gotten worse. Certainly the numbers have not gone up. Uh, and certainly here in Cork, and it's not only Cork, like obviously I'm particularly interested in the resources we have uh, and I've been banging that drum for a long time. Uh, but lots of other communities, like I was listening to TD there from Longford, Circa Clark was talking about only one community guard for the whole town of Longford, the largest town in Longford, about 12,000 people, one community guard the whole time uh, working nine to five and the amount of jobs that they have to do. like That's never going to meet the needs of that community in terms of preventing crime, in terms of working with communities and so on. And what happens is when you have core units, like in terms of your ordinary guardy out and about on the streets, um, when you don't have enough of them, then your community guards who are supposed to be proactive, working with communities, working with young people at risk of offending, they get pulled into the mix there uh, as well. And I heard uh, a, a rumour yesterday, Delica, maybe you could comment on it if you know anything about it, that the uh, the current crop of uh, trainee guardy are going to be released on the streets before Christmas to supplement numbers. Uh, is that what you were referring to when you said one guard or guard or recruit only came to Cork? No, it's not. Um, it's That was the October intake. Yes, I believe that there is some suggestion that the current crop of trainees who I think were due to come out in the new year are going to come out a couple of weeks early. Um, I think, you know, that probably makes sense. I don't have a, a particular problem with that once they're under the supervision of, of you know, fully trained guardy and all that kind of stuff. But, but no, I'm talking about a different thing. And to be honest, it's... It's been a pattern really the last couple of years. Like we've rarely got more than three or four to get only one out of a whole intake. Like, I mean, that's that's less than 1% 
coming to Cork for 10% of the population, like, you know, so like, okay. as, as well as all the systemic issues, I really feel that Cork isn't getting a fair shake uh, in terms of the Gardaí that are being sent here. And I think it is putting uh, the excellent Gardaí we have here in Cork under very severe pressure. Okay. Uh, I want to move on to the Sinn Féin position. Um, you know, a lot of people are calling it hollow rhetoric, etc. There's one more claim that I think you might comment on, in that the hierarchical command of uh, the Gardaí seem to fa- be absent uh, during the, the riots uh, of uh, almost two weeks ago, uh, and, and that most Gardaí arrived on the scene because of group WhatsApp messages, your, your, your buddies need help, we're in trouble here, any guards please attend the city centre, and then many of them came in um, uniformed and many came in plain clothes because they were on the, in their civvies on their, on their time off. Did, did you hear that, that the WhatsApp was the main calling unit for the Gardaí and not its own hierarchical communication system? Yeah, I, I did hear that, and like I mean, that is concerning. Now, like, look, obviously, none of us can place ourselves in the, you know, into the service and understand exactly what was going on around them at the time. I suppose the best we can do is listen to the Garda Representative Association, who were absolutely furious at how it was handled on the ground. They were speaking on behalf of their members, uh, and they felt that um, the operation was just it, it just didn't come together as it should. It was a bit flat-footed, um, and that. Gardaí were left at risk and they really felt like that. Um, they really felt frustrated um, at the situation and like I mean it was shocking to see get situations where Gardaí were, were, were left isolated on their own and really they did. They they displayed I think really remarkable courage like there's nothing but credit due to the individual Gardaí um, on the night and they showed um, restraint where it was appropriate, they were robust where it was appropriate. That's not the issue. The issue is as a service, as as uh, an organisation, I think those frontline Gardaí were let down, uh, and I think that that's a real problem, and I think it points to uh, systemic enough issues. All right. Now, uh, lest this become a party political broadcast on behalf of Sinn Féin, uh, let's try to put some balance into the uh, the interview. Confidence motions, by their very uh, nature, are high-stakes politics. Uh, you know, you win, you can topple a government. The The ambition of every opposition is not to to use the much-abused cliché, hold people to account. It's to topple the incumbent government and, and maybe have a go yourselves. But this very high-stakes, no-confidence motion uh, was almost destined to backfire yesterday. And people were saying uh, it's almost incredulous that Sinn Féin are now positioning themselves as the party of law and order. Yeah, well, a couple of things about that. Like, I mean, first, I think I wouldn't dismiss the importance of holding to account. And, like, certainly, you know, walking around Cork over the weekend and talking to people on Monday before I went up to Dublin, like, you know, there was, it was said to me numerous times, like, yeah, no, listen, they're right there. Like, this is not acceptable. And, you know, what the situation that the Gardaí are facing, like, it's just not good enough, like, and communities are being neglected. So people felt very strongly that this was something that needed to be done. Like, and just in terms of Sinn Féin, like, yeah, like, I speak for myself and I speak for Sinn Féin generally. Like, for me, the issue, you know, uh, of having enough guarding on the ground, of ensuring community safety has always been a priority for me. And for the communities we represent, it is one of the most important issues for them as well in terms of health and housing and ensuring that their communities are safe. And often the communities that we represent are the ones who are most exposed um, by um, by a lack of care, the presence by slow response time. So, like, I... I don't believe that this is in any way a weakness for us. It's always been very important to me. It's always been very important to Sinn Féin. I was a justice spokesperson myself for a number of years uh, and I worked with the commissioner at the time and I worked with the justice committee and I worked with senior guardian at a national level. Um, 
And I, I think it is. It's a very important issue. To, like, I mean, these are the basic things that people expect in society. They expect to be cared for when they're ill. Uh, they expect to have a roof over their head and they expect their communities to be safe. And I don't think that that's a crazy amount to ask. I don't think it's a lot. Uh, on all three of those counts, I don't think the government is succeeding. Okay, and, and, and to those who would say that you're using the horrific stabbing of school children and their carer, their teacher, the subsequent riots, which were flash riots, I think, and, um, you know, once again, social media play the parts in, in, in gathering the, uh, the rioters. But that Sinn Féin is using this to, to demonstrate a sort of a concern for the rule of law uh, that people heretofore may think, you know, you had a casual relationship with. To those people who say you're, you're employing hypocrisy on a grand scale, what would you say? I would say some of those people are, are never going to be satisfied with any answer that I give. Um, but in terms of people maybe who have doubts and are maybe open to being persuaded, like, I mean, I would like, I would ask them to look at the track record of, of PDs on the ground and in, in, in promoting the need for additional guard resources. And it has been something that we have prioritised here in Cork. Like, I don't think anything has been exploited. Like, I mean, in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of the horrific stabbing, and it really was truly horrific. Um, I, I, I suppose... I and my party send our best wishes to those who are still in hospital and I know the our leader who's also the local TD has been in very, very close contact with the school, with the parents and has been working with them and providing whatever support they can. I suppose in ter- from a policing and justice point of view, our primary focus was the fact that control was lost in the streets on that night. Um, you know, like you know, unfortunately, um, you know, there will be horrific crimes and it's not possible for the Gardaí to be present at every moment that a crime is potentially going to occur. Like, I mean, that's not our contention. Our contention is that um, when a situation was gradually developing on the Thursday night that the Gardaí, because of under-resourcing, because of issues in relation to how the organisation is run, wasn't in a position to respond as it should. But not only that, but that this was, I suppose, a final straw. Like, I mean, we have been raising serious concerns. Like, the major political issue of the summer was the fact that the north inner city of Dublin uh, was somewhat unsafe with tourists being uh, very seriously assaulted, some very, very serious public order incidents right on the main streets of our capital. Like So this was a okay. big issue in the summer as well. Yeah, and I, the issues I'm, that I've flagged in Cork. So this is not... This isn't arisen overnight by any manner or means. I think that Thursday was the final straw in relation to um, the mismanagement of policing and justice. All right, Donegal, I'm not politically affiliated, but sometimes the cut and thrust of Irish politics fascinates me. And I tried to postulate yesterday, because I was surprised when I heard about the uh, the motion of no confidence, I tried to postulate why are Sinn Féin doing this? It's a calculated risk. It can be seen as slightly hypocritical. You're going to open yourself up to, um, you know, as happened yesterday, catcall across the chamber of, uh, you know, names like Jonathan Dowdall and uh, the late guarded Jerry McCabe. Is it, as I considered yesterday, because you felt as a party you needed to put a line in the sand so that if this simmering resentment that's, that's now evident in Irish society reaches flashpoint again, at least Sinn Féin can say, we told you so. And you were prepared to take the, you know, the political hits for that so that you could, in future, uh, more rightly claim your place as the party of law and order? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I suppose what I'd agree with there is that, like, I mean, I think politically, I certainly want to address, I think it's a very mistaken belief, the idea that some people, I think it's mostly the commentariat, and I'm not referring to yourself, and more some of the national newspapers and things like that. I think it's more that the commentariat believes that Sinn Féin is weak in this area. Sinn Féin is not weak in this area. We recognise 
what our communities need. We recognise the need for strong, robust policing uh, and to protect our communities. And, you know, we, I very much subscribe to the view of tough on crime and tough on causes of crime. You absolutely have to tackle the root causes. You have to invest in communities and ensure that people's alienation and frustration is tackled. But where crime is committed, you need uh, a response and you need to have a guard of presence. The most effective deterrent to crime is guard of visibility. Uh, more than sentencing, more than any other amount of measures, it is seeing guard on the street. That is internationally proven to be the biggest deterrent. So that's what we need to achieve because we don't have the guard of visibility. And look, the guard themselves can't magic up more guard. We need to invest more in the guard service. And that's certainly I would be keen to address that imbalance. Like, look, in terms of the motion, I felt it was important. I think there was a statement really from Sinn Féin that enough is enough and this needs to be addressed. And that is the reason we put the motion down. Okay, Sinn Féin, uh, according to Paul Williams, crime correspondent for the Irish Independent, uh, wrote today that Sinn Féin has a difficult history with law and order. It also has a selective memory. How would you look forward, uh, the past notwithstanding, to what looks very possibly to be a Sinn Féin government next time round? Well, like, I mean... We would take nothing for granted. Anyway. That's the first thing. We know that, like, I mean, I know that all the votes that I might have gotten the last election, I have to go out and win every single one of those again. Uh, so we take nothing for granted. We will be running more candidates and to put ourselves in a better position to get into government. I think there was a handful of seats we left behind us last time. We want to pick up those and more next time. Um, but to get into government, like, I mean, what are our priorities? This is certainly one of them to try and ensure that the Gardaí are properly resourced. The housing crisis, I think, is probably the number one issue facing society. When you look at the situation, the government keeps trying to tell that things are getting better. The price of houses are rising. The price of rent, the cost of rent is rising. Homelessness is rising. Uh, the targets for affordable housing for Cork City are absolutely pathetic for those people who don't qualify for social housing, but for the, that can't afford a private commercial mortgage. So in all those areas, there is serious failure. So I think that is the number one area of focus. We've also done a lot of work in relation to health and I think David Colnan, our health spokesperson has really developed very comprehensive health policy about how we move to uh, a model that's more akin to a national health service that people can rely on it as a public service rather than this mix of public and private that we have at the minute um, and that is a big priority for us as well and I suppose the other one that I would be very keen on for, for young couples starting out uh, and I, th- I think you know an awful lot of young couples who want to have children defer having children because the cost that they face not only rent and mortgages but the cost of childcare it is a huge disincentive we need to really tackle that it's keeping people out of the workforce it's also preventing people from being in a position to have children because they know that they can be spending a thousand five hundred euro in a month maybe more than that if they have two or three kids a lot more than that uh, on childcare and for me that's one that needs to be tackled we need to treat that as a public service we need to see that All right, the the election's uh, not been called yet Tonic well, look, you asked me what, what I would see in government. Those okay, one, one, one final question. In your opinion, do you think Sinn Féin will be a little more conservative with their um, confidences, um, you know, no, no confidence motions in the future? Because yesterday was really, at the end of the day, it was political theatre. Uh, it really didn't have any teeth. It didn't grab the imagination of the public. Uh, and essentially, it was a waste of three hours of valuable uh, legislative time, uh, you know, in Dáil Éireann. Well, I, in my 
nearly eight years in the dial line. Certainly seen three hours wasted a lot worse than that, <laughs> now, to be totally honest with you. Um, there's plenty of wasted time up uh, here with some of the debates. But anyway, that's, that's, a, that's another day's work. No, listen, I, I don't necessarily agree that it didn't capture the imagination of the public. I think not everyone was in favour of it. But, but, like, I mean, for those people that this is a big issue, that they're concerned about Garda presence in their communities, um, I don't think they would have seen this as a waste of time at all. In fact, I think they would have been pleased to see this issue finally uh, of policing injustice and community safety, I think they would have been happy to finally get put to the forefront, and that includes communities here in Cork City and the county as well. Okay. Uh, Donegal Learish and Fain TD for Cork South Central. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM. 25 to 10, this is Mick Mulcahy, Neil Prendeville returning uh, on Monday morning. Uh, but we have a fantastic uh, competition to give you this week and it's been going very well so far with Michelle the Jewellers over 60 years in business in Cork of course it's a family run business and they offer the very best bespoke jewellery for any occasion for that's something special you can do a kind of a pre-check on michellejewellers.ie for more details but nothing beats calling it in person of course because the quality is right the service is right they have the expertise and they're there for you what you're listening out for between 11 o'clock and 12 just giving you a little bit of pre-warning now this is what you need to listen out for And then two listeners will go head-to-head and pick a random card from a deck of diamonds. We've quartered the deck out. There's only 13 cards. Uh, two being the lowest, ace being the highest. We had one person on Monday pick the ace directly from the start and uh, won the 200 euro voucher. That's up for grabs each and every day. So the listener who draws the highest diamond wins with Michel the Jewellers over 60 years in business in Cork. Listen out for that between uh, 11 o'clock and 12. Now, a little later than usual, we get to our newspaper review. And, of course, the uh, Mac and T surviving the confidence vote makes most of the papers. Irish Daily Mirror has TD's rejection, Fane's proposal, sparked by riots and safe streets call. Uh, an ill-tempered Doyle debate. Here's MacDonald called Mary Lou Trump. And uh, that is uh, the Irish Daily Mirror today. In more detail, uh, Louise Byrne is reporting that Justice Minister Helen McEntee comfortably survived a Doyle um, motion of confidence by 20 votes in a fiery debate that saw Sinn Féin President Mary Lou MacDonald branded Mary Lou Trump. And compared to Nigel Farage, the government and opposition traded blows about the circumstances that led to last month's Dublin riots. In the end, 83 TDs voted confidence in Miss McEntee. 63 TDs backed the motion while independent Verona Murphy abstained. And Tisha Gleover Adker branded Sinn Féin's motion of no confidence uh, in Minister McEntee a distraction. Uh, he said, I would not have confidence in a, Shane, a Sinn Féin member becoming Justice Minister. We're going to hear a lot more uh, of these type of uh, exchanges between now and uh, the election, which will happen next year, I think. Uh, a bid to oust Justice Minister Helen McEntee backfired on Sinn Féin last night, uh, with their leader being labelled Mary Lou Trump. This is uh, uh, all about Mary Lou Trump being read the Riot Act, apparently, according to The Sun. It came as she was accused of spreading fake news about the recent shocking school stabbing in Dublin. It was a fiery Doyle bust-up. Both sides of the house were left bruised in a mudslinging match between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. The coalition slapped away an attempt to take down the Justice Minister by winning the Doyle vote comfortably. Uh, and Sinn Féin had called, of course, for Minister McEntee to step down following the riots. That's all over the papers today. Uh, the Examiner has uh, an article that the, uh, the headline reads, Judge surprised, file on Satchwell, not sent 
to DPP. Olivia Kelleher is reporting that the Garda file on the Tina Satchwell case is at an advanced stage. A court heard yesterday as her husband Richard appeared in a temporary court having previously been charged with her murder. Richard Satchwell, 57 years old of Granton Street, Yall County Cork, was charged with the murder of his wife Tina at a sitting of Cashel District Court on October 14th. The state charged that on March 20th, 2017, at a location in Cork, he murdered Tina Satchwell, contrary to common law. Mr Satchwell is a native of Leicester in England and was charged after Gardee found the skeletal remains of his wife while excavating a concrete floor and walled-up area underneath the stairwell uh, of their home in Yall. Mr Satchwell appeared via video link at Clonmel District Court yesterday. Check that out in the examiner. To the echo we go now. An accused charged with murdering man in city centre daytime incident. A man aged 30 was charged yesterday with murdering a 32-year-old man in the centre of Cork last June. Detective Garda Pat Russell formally arrested Aaron Babington and charged him at Cork District Court with the murder of Jason Butler on June 14th at Grand Parade, contrary to common law. Uh, That uh, article is in the Echo. Back to the examiner and uh, puppy farm dogs are matted with faeces. A court heard inspection reports as a dog breeder appeals closure order. Liz Dunphy reporting that putrid smelling dogs soaked in urine Many very fearful with oozing redded eyes, reddened eyes were forced to walk in their own feces due to overcrowding and suffered unnecessarily at a horse racing heiress's cork puppy farm. A court has heard Anne Broderick, whose late father bred racehorse uh, Paddy the Plasterer, uh, which won at Cheltenham, is appealing a closure order against her puppy farm, uh, which was exporting dogs to a lucrative market in Singapore. Dogs with vacant eyes looked like they'd given up and petrified Labrador, uh, which had been attacked in a shed by huskies, so terrified it urinated and uh, cowered when touched by a human. Mallow District Court has heard dog paws burned from uh, chronic exposure to the highly corrosive ammonia in urine, the gas of which also damages dogs' lungs and irritates their eyes, the court also heard. It doesn't make for easy reading, uh, but if you fancy continuing uh, with the rest of that article, you'll find it in the examiner. Also in the examiner, ministers challenged to drink discoloured tap water. Owen English reporting that the ministers for health and the environment have been challenged to drink a pint of water from a tap on Cork's north side, where the drinking water to thousands of households has turned brown. Independent City Councillor Kenneth O'Flynn uh, issued the invite after Ishka Aaron confirmed yesterday it had seen a five-fold increase in complaints uh, about discoloured water from areas in the city's north side in recent weeks. I wouldn't water my flowers with what's coming out of the taps at the moment. He said clothes and new bedding have been destroyed by people's washing machines because of the brown water and sediment coming through the uh, system. It's almost reminiscent of the Michael Moore film where Barack Obama wouldn't drink uh, the water from Flint in Michigan or the Aaron Brockovich scene. A woman in her 30s was quizzed uh, over a 500 million Coke ship logistics. Uh, Video doing the rounds last night as well about some shooting uh, that happened on uh, apparently the Matthew, uh, whether it was uh, an exercise or whether there was an attempt to storm the ship, which is essentially empty, I think, uh, but still under armed guard. Uh, We're trying to find out what happened there, but I got a video from a few residents of Passage West last night to say there's a shootout on the coke ship. So we're trying to get to the bottom of that. Anyway, Gardy were last night questioning a bar worker on suspicion of helping the gang behind the massive seizure of cocaine on the MV Matthew. Uh, 
Sources told the Irish Mirror that the woman is suspected of being involved in the gang's logistics operation, not the smuggling activity itself. To the Independent, uh, Michael Flatley devastated, this making some of the morning papers actually, uh, most of them, Michael Flatley devastated to leave his Cork home after hazardous chemical residue was detected. Riverdance and Lord of the Dance star Michael Flatley and his family are devastated at having to leave their Cork period home after an extremely hazardous chemical residue was detected in the property the High Court has heard. He claims parties, including the main contractor that carried out works to repair damage caused to Castle Hyde outside of uh, uh, Fromoy during a fire in 2016, and his insurers knew about the residue, but never informed him about it. He got cancer, of course, whether it's related or not, I don't know. Uh, he also said no steps were taken to fix the problem, and he is uh, suing uh, for the princely sum of €25 million. Euro. A kick in the toll driver's fury as motorway costs jacked up again. We'll speak about this later on the programme so I won't dwell on it here. A major blow has been dealt to motorists after the announcement of a price hike for using the state's tolled roads. A self-drive Tesla staying on the road topic, not ready for the roads. Whistleblower's AI safety claim. A former Tesla worker claims the electric car giant's self-driving technology is not safe enough to be used on public roads. You can check that out in the mirror. Shane McGowan continuing to make uh, a lot of the morning papers. Of course, the funeral's taking place on Friday. McGowan to take one last trip around the dirty old town. The route of Shane McGowan's funeral procession through Dublin has been confirmed with thousands of mourners expected to pay their respects. Reckless and unconventional. Uh, he's been described in an article in the uh, newspapers this morning. Jingle Shell out 1,030 Europe. Uh, we touched this on this yesterday on the programme, but a survey on the expected Christmas spend says that consumers expect their average Christmas spend this year to fall by 13% to €1,030. Euro. Killer Molly to stay in prison. This has caused some serious uh, anguish and grief uh, for the affected family. But killers Molly and Tom Martins won't be freed this week after confusion in the US over their release dates. Cover that yesterday as well. And uh, that is uh, the morning papers. We'll come back to some of those stories during the course of the Neil Prendival show. But the time now is approaching a quarter to ten. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Prendival show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 11 minutes to ten. Good morning from the Neil Prendival show now. I'm joined by Terry Prone, businesswoman, columnist with the Irish Examiner and uh, Terry's written a piece about Dolly Parton growing old disgracefully. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Now, this was a rebuttal, really, to some very, very cruel and vindictive narrative that uh, was sent in writing Dolly's way and uh, for the world to read. Mutton dressed as lamb doesn't begin to convey the horror of it. Uh, here's this owl one appearing in the middle of an American football game and swear to God, you'd be mortified to even imagine the way she's dressed or perhaps undressed would be a better term because you wouldn't get even one decent dress out of the totality of the cloth involved. That's just one of the comments. Just in case you missed the seriousness of this, let me tell you, these were not proper walking shorts. Although, to be nothing but honest, anybody over 50 should have reservations about walking shorts. I mean, they were the kind you'd see on a young one going into um, coffins. Oh, sorry, I mean coppers. Some very cruel comments and uh, it's something you had to answer because I think, <laughs> like me, I think you believe we should all grow old disgracefully. 
Well, I, th- I think the notion that people will say, oh, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't wear this kind of shoe after 50, or you shouldn't have your hair done that way after 60, is ludicrous. But every time somebody breaks those unexpressed rules, people come out on social media and Dolly did us all a favour, really, us old people, uh, in that she broke almost all of the rules in one go. And she had incredibly short shorts, basically hot pants, uh, white tights, high heels, uh, naked midriff, except for more material that was kind of sparkly net. And so she basically put it up to everybody. And in addition, of course, she clearly has, you know, that code phrase, she's had work done. Mm. In other words, she's had facelifts and brow lifts and all of that sort of stuff. And that that really seems to get up the nose of a certain cohort who believe that any woman over 60 should basically either become invisible or kind of get into a wheelchair or a rocking chair and make like Whistler's mother. Okay, Billy Connolly uh, said the same thing about men, really, that at a certain age they're expected to fade away and wear old man's clothes and wear beige. Uh, But I, I saw the picture of Dolly's outfit. To me, it looked a little dated, but certainly not offensive. And if you're 77... Uh, also saw Cher on the Graham Norton show last week. She looks amazing and she's of the same vintage. If you have it at 77, why not flaunt it? And the thing about it being a dated outfit, which is a very clever observation, is that she, the, the outfit kind of mimicked, apparently, the outfit of a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. And, of course, the very concept of a cheerleader is somewhat dated at this stage. But Dolly effectively was saying, I still have it. And she's never been dictated to. I mean, her great comment, maybe 30 years ago, was that it cost a lot of money to look this cheap. She was publicly acknowledging that she was covered in rhinestones, uh, displaying cleavage, uh, generally looking like a trollop because that was the look she liked to have. That was the look, and still is the look, that her fans like her to have. The notion that Dolly Parton should get her hair cut, should get it permed in nice tight curls, should wear a beige twin set, to quote Billy Connolly, beige twin set with pearls. And you know those shoes that, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, God love her and Lord rest her, the, the ones she used to wear that were sort of polished so that they lasted forever mm-hmm. and had been dowdy from the moment they were bought. Yeah, you see you see some air hostesses wearing them when they need comfort when they're in, in you know, in, <laughs> in, in service mode. But um, when you're getting off the plane, they're essentially in high heels. Do, do women, um, are they judged more than men, Terry? Uh, and how do they judge more by their own peers, by women judging other women? Oh, totally. And increasingly, it seems to me, the capacity to say, you should pardon the expression, shag off. I'll do what I like. I'll wear the colours that I like. I'll wear the shapes that I like. Rather than be told, oh, this is an old person's website or this is an old person's shop or you don't want to go to a wedding and have people talking about you afterwards. Some of us, and Dolly Parton leads the brigade, 
do want people talking about us afterwards. The fact is that Dolly Parton wouldn't have had the role in the halftime of that particular major, I don't know whether, it was football rather than baseball. It was football, yeah. American football. She wouldn't have been there. She wouldn't have been singing that appalling song, Jolene, uh, if it hadn't been for her capacity to generate headlines, which she has managed to do for 60 years. You know the way people talk about Madonna reinventing herself? Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton has never reinvented herself. She has stayed the same, but almost forced the world to acknowledge that her same is highly entertaining and delightful. Yeah, there's a, there's a little video on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, Terry, I'd advise you to watch it. It's Dolly Parton in Paudy Shea's pub in Ventry, uh, where the great Steve Cooney accompanied her. They'd never played yeah. together before, and she sings The Coat of Many Colours. She is an incredible woman, incredibly wealthy, but very generous with that wealth. She lives in Brentwood, uh, the posher section of Nashville. But her charitable work knows no bounds. Why shouldn't she look good if she can afford it? Absolutely. And the the fascinating point, you're absolutely right about her charitable work. And her charitable work is rooted in her past, which was brutally poor in in a, a deeply depriving way. She surmounted that. And as a result, she has a conviction that literacy is the great key to freedom. And so she simply gives away millions of books to poor kids all over the world every single year. This is a magnificent woman, but the thing that distinguishes her from many revolutionary women, from many women who have set their seal on history, who have created freedoms for other women, the thing that distinguishes her is that she has a hell of a sense of humour as well. Yeah, and she's always in the four-inch heels. They're most always in the bright colours. I'm just going to take a paragraph from your article, Terry. I, I think this encapsulates everything. Nothing bothers Dolly Parton, who knows that any controversy about what she wears puts her on the top of the news lists and guarantees the next booking. Not that she needs a next booking, of course, but she's always <laughs> out there for good causes. Uh, what, what, f- finally, Terry, your advice to the... Um, People who are growing old, male and female, don't conform. Don't wear that old man's beige. Express yourself a little. Be windswept and interesting. And if you want to have work done, have work done. In other words, do go for cosmetic surgery because there is nothing more exciting than once the swelling has gone down, looking at yourself in the mirror and realizing not that you look younger, but that you look less exhausted and bitter. <laughs> exactly. And, and and you feel better about yourself. Thank you very much, Terry Prone, businesswoman, columnist with the Irish Examiner. Very entertaining piece, if you want to check it out, about Dolly Parton. Merry Christmas to you, Terry. And to you, and thank you. Cheers. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. At nine minutes past ten, back to our phone lines. Antonio Driscoll is on line two. Tony is the chairman of the Cork branch of the Road Haulage Association. Um, bad news again uh, coming in the in the uh, bulletins yesterday, Tony, about toll price increases. Yeah, make sure, again, we're being hit again, you know, with a, a ridiculous uh, increase of 50 cent per truck per trip. Um, like we can't keep sustaining these costs, you know, and it's all easy to say pass them on to our customer. But if we pass those costs on to our customer, we're, the customer, you're going to pay it for the, the, the loaf of bread, the bottle of milk, 
you know, the washing powder, whatever, it's all going to get, it's all going to, it's all going to increase, right? Um, now, um, when they were on about that now last night, uh, our president, uh, you, uh, our past president, Eugene Renan, spoke there with the, with the media last night on the whole thing. And like, from a Cork point of view here, like, to run from Cork to Dublin Port now, at the moment, before the increase, is costing €40 euro and 20 cent per day per truck. That's up and because down, is it? Up and down, yeah. All right, so it's 680 on each and 650 on the M50. Now, we've got a hauler down here in Cork running 10 trucks a day, Cork, Dublin, uh, Cork, Dublin, Scotland, right? And his bill last year for tolls was be €30,000. I, I think I know him. Would they be yellow trucks? Uh, no, they won't be yellow. No, no, oh, no. Okay. Right, that's right. That's €30,000, right? Myself, there, I run three trucks around local, right? We'd reuse the Limerick toll. We would use the Watergrass Hill toll. My three trucks, my bill last month was €600. Euro. Right, so like with, with this additional 50 cents, like it's just it's just gone out of all proportion. They were saying last night that they were uh, walking in line with inflation. Inflation is down to 2.3% at the moment. It's coming down. So, yeah. like, I don't know where they're getting those statistics out of, you know? And don't forget there's VAT in every toll you pay as well, so the government are getting That's their it. slice. That's it. But just to put it in perspective now, right, uh, if I run my truck, and we've done the statistics on it, if I run my truck from Cork to... Dublin uh-huh. avoiding the tolls now I can't avoid the M50 because you can't run a truck through Dublin City you have to you've no alternative but to pay the M50 that's why it should be free to trucks because there's no alternative but if I run my if I run up the old road where I have to run the, the old road right so we say go Watergrass Hill Rack Cormac jump on the motorway then the other side of my go up jump off a head towards Doro and come around and back onto the Port Leash bypass again. Yep. I can save myself a lot of money and it would probably cost me maybe 20 minutes in time on off-peak hours. Okay, is so that is that worth it for the 680 or 1250 or whatever you're going to save? Oh, it definitely, because, right, you probably you probably end up, yeah, you uh, probably cost a few little, a few, a few quid more on these, otherwise you'll probably lose the 50, maybe 20 minutes. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you could probably save yourself anything up to three euros per trip. So you multiply that with a guy there running 10, 20, 30 trucks. You know, like you've got Lucy Transport there in Cork running Cork Belfast all the time. I don't know what their toll is. I haven't been speaking to the guy, but it, it's, it will be absolutely unbelievable. It will be frightening. You know what I mean? Do you, do you remember the... You, you obviously remember the old Dublin Road before we had uh, before we had any bypasses. You'd, you, you know, right. you'd start in Glanmire, then you'd have Watergrass Hill, and you'd go into Rathcormac, and then from Moy, right. and then you go up, you know, Durrow and all those places. And and, and this, this motorway was seen to relieve those towns and give them some sort of a community spirit and a shopability back in the town centres. But uh, if, if you guys were to take an en masse decision not to use the tolls... You'd congest and clog up these towns completely. We would, Mick, because for the simple reason, the cars and all this, the vans, whatever, right? These guys are, are using the tolls, right? The guys that wouldn't be travelling through the, that wouldn't be travelling up and down as often as us, would 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 be using the tolls. So that frees it up. It's actually there is nothing in it at the moment to go via for my nothing. There is absolutely nothing in it go via for my and especially when you come up and if you see a queue at the toll booth in Watergrass Hill and you slow down and you get your I have the toll tags. By the time you slow down to a stop, get the barrier lifted and go again. 
you're not saving it. You're not saving it. Like, there's one company in particular here running 40 trucks in Cork. And since the tolls came out, he went to his customers with the, when the tolls came out and he wanted to plan the toll charge. or refused point blank to, to, to use the tolls. So he's instructed his drivers now. They must contact him. They must contact him. Um, if there's a time saving on it, yes, he will use it. Or if there's uh, if the driver's running out of hours or whatever, or maybe getting a container to the port loaning a skiddy on time for the ship, yes, they will use it. Okay, so but, that, that means if they're running out of hours on the tachograph, there's a legal limit to what they can drive, hours-wise. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we're talking about 15 minutes. If they can save 15 minutes, then yes, well and good. Okay. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we're essential users. The haulage sector are essential users. In Dublin, we're forced into the onto the M50. We have no alternative, so that should be free to, to the transport. Yeah, then, wasn't the M50 meant to be free? And, uh, after a certain amount of time, paying back oh, the... You it know, was taken over by a private company then, an out-of-state company, and they kept the tolls going. You're 100% correct. I don't know the exact uh, thing because it was a long time ago, but this is what was supposed to happen. What they were supposed to do that time was get the M50 built when the cost of the M50 came back uh, from the public, it was supposed to be toll-free. Then some other entity took it over and kept it going. Did you say out-of-state entity? As far as I'm aware, it's an out-of-state company running that M50 now, as far as I'm aware. Wouldn't Michael Collins and Patrick Pierce turn in their graves, huh? So there you go. So, like, we are actually now being forced. We are now actually being forced to go back to the old roads. We're being forced. That's where we are. And we just don't have a choice. I mean, we go to our customers. We can't pass on this. We can't, we can't pass on this to our customers. But we, yet we can't carry the cost of it either. So if it's a cheaper option for us to go through the towns, that's what we have to do. And we that, no that works best for the consumer, even though it doesn't work best for the towns. Because if you're not passing on the cost to your customers, your customers are not passing on the cost to the consumer, you would imagine. Absolutely, but the consumer then is the, is the, is the, 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 the people on the ground, the people, the, the loaf of bread the bottle of milk and all of this so if you put five cent onto a loaf of bread everybody everybody is complaining about it especially the people there on a minimum wage whatever the case may be right we're kidding all these people the people out there at the moment they're struggling they're struggling to make ends meet so it can't be passed down there either but it costs the government absolutely nothing to give us the haulage uh, the licensed haulage sector some sort of uh, an incentive or something, some sort of a concession to use it. We've tried meeting with the with the authorities running these toll roads, and they will not listen. They will not listen. They won't do anything to work with us on it. We with, don't want. With, we don't want to go. We don't want to go into the towns. With an, up, if we with have, an upcoming election, Tony, if, if the towns were congested, and I mean heavily yeah. congested, I'm not suggesting you know that you, that you do it uh, on the behest of this program. But if they were to become congested, if public sentiment was against trucks being in their villages and towns, uh, surely the politicians would be forced to... Like, we're an island nation. We have ports dotted around the place, like um, Galway to an extent, but Foynes, Cork, Waterford, Dublin. Um, but imagine you're living in, in the Midlands. There's no way you can get supplies with, with, without your supplier incurring a toll. There you go. But sure, that's what our past president Eugene said last night on, uh, on television. He was on the news last night and he said that it's costing 30 euros to get from Mayo to Dublin Port. It's it's ridiculous. It's just, it's just, it's unsustainable. But like these guys have just come out now and they've said, right, we're imposing this. No negotiation. If I go to my customer for an increase, I have to go and negotiate. 
we're not getting any negotiation. There's nobody getting a negotiation. What we actually need here is the public behind us to fight for this. Because otherwise, we're going to see these HGVs going through these towns because it's not going to be cost-effective to use these tolls. Yeah, and, and from a, a safety aspect, Charleville has seen a number of accidents between trucks and pedestrians. So putting trucks back into these towns to save a couple of quid, it's not a good thing overall for anybody. There's no winners here. It's not a good thing, but there's, not, it's going, there's going to be no winners then either if you can't get your goods to the, to the thing. There's a serious shortage of drivers at the minute. Drivers are not coming into this industry. We're struggling trying to keep our industry going. And we're being added cost, 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 cost all the time. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Like I mean, all running costs have gone up twenty percent in the last five years. Uh, cr- crude oil is comparatively low in price right now. You'd expect the price of the pumps to be lower as well, wouldn't you? It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We're fighting that one all the time. We are being imposed by a carbon tax as well in our industry. We are being imposed by a carbon with a carbon tax on the fuel. Right? Most trucks nowadays, all the modern vehicles are Euro six. They're all Euro 6. They're still doing the same mileage to the gallon. They're Euro 6. We're doing our part to comply with carbon. We're doing our part to comply with carbon. We're investing heavily in trucks. Like our truck, to buy a brand new truck nowadays is definitely about 30% dearer than what we would call a Euro 4 or, or a Euro 4 or Euro 5 truck. How, how much are those, are those truck uh, cabs or the tractor units? Are they 150, 200 grand or something? Uh, You'll be talking about between 150 and 200,000 per unit, yeah. Okay. And then we've got the added cost. Now we've got to use add blue there now that's to reduce the emissions. And again, add blue went up to over a euro a litre. I respect down to around 50 cent. No, it went up over a euro a litre again. We had to carry all that cost. We're doing our things for the environment by buying euro six trucks. And yes, again, we're getting no concession. Okay. This to- the toll now is the, last, is the nail in the coffin with us. And it would not surprise me if you see our members or any truck owner running through the town so we've got to get the public can I just ask you on, on, on that Tony if, if your drivers are instructed to go through the towns they will obviously they have to take orders mm-hmm. how would they feel about that though uh, you know because towns can be fraught with accidents school kids can run out in front of, of trucks you know in in that sort of environment it, it's not really conducive to a big 18 you know, wheeler or whatever we have here uh, going through towns, taking sharp right angle bends like you would, for instance, in the centre of Formoy. And I can't see any winners here unless you continue to, to use the, the motorways. And the only way that you're going to do that is if these tolls are reversed slightly or if they're taken off you. There you go. We're not, asking for, we're not asking for the tolls free. We're not asking for that at all. We're only asking for some form of concession for the essential user. We are the essential user. No, you must bear in mind as well, uh, a lot of trucks going through towns, they go in there and they stop off in shops, they leave a bit of revenue and stuff there as well in some cases, right? So, for some drivers, it's convenient to go into a town. Yeah, but most of that is picked up on the truck stops now, isn't it, on, on, uh, on the main motorways? Yeah, but there isn't enough of them at times, you know. Look, we're not too bad on that, that's a different issue, you know. But, like, at the same time, at the end of the day, the bottom line of it is, we can carry the cost of these tolls. Our customers don't want any more increases, and we're caught in limbo land. What it's actually doing, uh, operators are going to have to make a decision if they don't get some form of concession. If we can't get it on the rates, and I understand we can't get it on the rates because our customers can't get the rate and they can't sell their product for extra money. But what I can say is, if the government will look after us with the tolls and the NRA, 
it will alleviate the problem. Okay. Well, when, the, when the last toll increase came in, I think everyone kind of wore it, if that's the correct expression, because yes. it had been a considerably long time. I know COVID was in the middle and there was very little transport, but it had been a long time since the, the last toll increase. I think what really smarts now is that this is coming in quick succession. And if you don't protest now, we're going to get another one very quickly. Absolutely. And this is the thing now, you know, and people are going to be forced, as I said to you a while ago, people are going to be forced off of the thing. The time factor doesn't really come into it because you're only talking 15, you're only talking 10, 15 minutes. You're only talking, you're only talking 10, 15 minutes, right? Um, local drivers especially are not caught for that kind of time. We're not caught for it. The good guys in Long Hall would be caught for it. But the local drivers like myself, and what I operate, we don't be caught for that kind of time. So if I can save myself two euro per trip by not using the toll, I'm actually being pushed to do that. Okay. Uh, any any safety concerns put aside of driving big trucks through highly populated towns? Okay. Uh, uh, t- Tony, well, thanks a million. Well, we can understand the safety, like, and I do get the safety, like, but at the same time, if we're going to be driven to the ground and we can't operate anymore because of these rising costs, we're not going to be in the towns or we're not going to be on the motorways. Yeah. Tony, thanks. You know? I, I'll move on to Morris. Thanks very no much. Problem. Tony thanks. O'Driscoll, thanks. Chairman of the Cork Branch of the Road Haulage Association. Morris is on line one. Hiya, Morris. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Uh, very good. You were wondering who owns these toll roads. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I was listening to the other man there. I know... Um, Look, this is this is the second stealth uh, increase now on the tolls. Um, and they were a new phenomenon in Ireland, the toll road back in the 90s, right? Um, the one in the East Link there in Dublin was the first one, as far as I remember. And then we got the M50 toll bridge around Dublin, right? Now, they're all over the place, right? Um, look, the question is this. Like, it was... These roads were built under public-private partnerships, right? Which meant... I think private industry came up with 50% of the money and the government the other half, right? And the EU contributed to that at, at some level as well, right? So mm-hmm. here is the question then, right? Who, who, like when the toll goes up, who actually benefits from the toll going up? The, the owners it, of, of the operation, the uh, M8 Direct Route is owned by Direct Route from Oil Limited. That made 6.2 yeah. million in profit. I assume that's in the last year. The Waterford Bypass owned by Celtic Roads Group in Waterford. Mm-hmm. They made a three million loss. Uh, the M seven M eight Portlaoise bypass made a four point mm-hmm. five million loss. It's a road. It sits there. You're charging money for it. How can you make a loss? You would expect the M fifty in Dublin tunnel uh, to be hugely profitable. It only made two point mm-hmm. four million in profit. But there's a caveat there. The toll income. The M fifty. The M fifty made two point eight million in profit. That's all. Now l- listen to this. The toll income from the M fifty goes to TII. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the who TII is. Uh, in its annual report for 2021. Oh, this is a state agency. The state agency. Transport re- infrastructure. Transport infrastructure. Right? Okay. The state agency recorded total toll income of 157.7 million. 140 million of this came from the M50. A further 13.7 million came from the Dublin Tunnel, and four million. Mm-hmm. From tolls collected uh, at, to, to the M4 Plaza at Kilcock and Kinnegad. So how they could only declare a 2.4 million profit is beyond me. Uh, well, well, you're bamboozling me with the figures now, right? But <clears throat> what I do know about the Dublin Port Tunnel is that it's free for commercial vehicles, right? Um, and the, the reason being they wanted to take all heavy traffic between the port 
and the city centre out of the city centre. So they decided to funnel it all up by the airport and then run it down through the M50 toll, right? When you pass that, it's seven euros. It's nearly seven euros now to go through that. Right? It's, it's going to be 12 those. euros at, at, at the peak time for motorists. Just hang on there, Morris. John, good morning. Okay. Morning, Mick. Okay, you say the toll is owned by a Spanish pension. That's correct, yeah. And uh, we also sold the National Lottery to another uh, pension fund, uh, Teachers... Uh, In Canada, was it? Fund, uh, or Canada, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, what I can't understand, Mick, is why didn't the Irish government have the foresight when they knew uh, that we needed these uh, roads and motorways that... They put it into an Irish pension fund, so the money going in on, on, on the charging came around in mm. a loop to support the pension for people in Ireland instead of uh, uh, propping up uh, out-of-state companies that uh, we don't know who they are and, and well, we, do, we have an idea who they are and, and, and all the rest of the money just disappearing out of the country. That's a fair we have point. Governments, we have had con- we've had continuous governments with no foresight. Now, listen, if guys on the street can work this out... Why can't the government, with, with banks of accountants and mm-hmm. the, the alleged smartest people that we have in the country, uh, uh, figure it out? Yeah, a Spanish I mean, pension you, fund. You, you, I, I, that, that's yeah. not all of the toll roads now, is it? No. That, that, yeah, but you see... We, we sorry, because the Spanish consortium built one of them there a couple of years ago. Which yeah. one, I wonder? Like the Kenny Gad one, as far as I remember, a company called Dragodis, yeah. right? And they were working with Ascon at the time, or well, Rocon, or whatever they used to be called. They're BAM now, right? Um, and they built that section there, and they funded so much of it, which they got a concession then for 25 years or something like that to gather the tolls and make a profit from that. No, the point I'm going to make here, and I don't mean to cut across this gentleman, is that the M50 concession expired a couple of years ago, right? As far That's as I know. And the government bought it back. So where is the... Like, past that in 50 any time of day, it's just a money operation. Every time the thing goes up, it's taking 350 off a car, 210 if you have that tight thing on the roof, right? It's taking a fiver off a van, a fellow going around an electrician, right? And it's taking 7 euros off a truck. Every time it goes up and down, and it's up and down, flying all day long. And you're telling me they're only... And they're counting, they're only making 2.5 million a year. And I'm going to tell you well, now. Well, the, in, the income was 157.7 million. Yeah. So wherever that yeah, went, yeah, but you, but, yeah, but they're finding ways of spending the money, Mick. Is what I'm saying to you, right? Yeah, like, to, come, to come in there about the two and a half million that's posted. That's mm-hmm. after they have everything that they've invested elsewhere, and and all the right downs on different parts of their project. Uh-huh. And the two and, and a half million then, would, would be actually then, what's going on there. Okay, let, let, let me go back to 2006. And uh, a statement, well, it, made, it made the Irish Times um, on the 15th of November. Uh, the Taoiseach of the, of the day was Bertie Ahern. And he said, mm-hmm. motorists on Dublin's M50 will be paying tolls until at least 2035. Uh, that's what Taoiseach Bertie Ahern said in 2006. He was answering dull questions from Labour Party leader Pat Rabbit and rejected mm-hmm. Mr Rabbit's proposal to lift the barriers at the Westling Toll Plaza during the upgrade of the route mm-hmm. from three to four lanes. So uh, if Bertie is saying 2035 back in 2006, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's suggesting 29 years, this is going to be like the, that uh, temporary tax uh, mm-hmm. that we were all supposed USC. to be. Yeah. Yeah. The USC. Well, you see, obviously, Bertie was privy to see to uh, deals that had been done and had been struck and agreed on. That's why he could give a date like that. 
Now, the, mm-hmm. the question that the people of Cork need to be asking, either through a radio station or through uh, an elected representative is, from from the Cork City Council, is how soon are they going to be tolling the, the, the tunnel and and uh, and uh, and the charges for the the new roadworks that we're getting? Because it is coming. Uh, I don't know, is it? Because, you know, the Red Cow Interchange, is, you know, I know it's subject to nearby tolls, um, but um, t- tolling the tunnel would be ap- absolutely fly in the face of the reason why this, uh, you know, the Dunkettle you Interchange... You know what they would do, Mick? Do you know what it, they it, would do? It, it would kill free flow. Gentleman's point, what they will do, and I'd follow this gentleman's point now, we don't have a proper northering road, Mick, right? That's correct. When they get, yeah. when they get around to constructing that... They will devise that as a PPP. Bring in some outside investor. There you go, lads. Private public toll partnership. Now. Toll it now yeah. on the on the north There's side. A toll now to travel from Blackpool to Glanmire, three fifty. Yeah. Right, and they'll hoard all the lorries then up that way, seven euros. Right, and you'll have thirty euros of that. This rubbish has to stop. You're on about having loads left over now in corporation tax, right? Well, we've this surplus, that surplus. We're going to put it into the rainy day fund, but we're going to keep taxing you while we're banking that up. Yeah. But they're banking it up from outside the people. There's no accountability with these toll roads whatsoever. None. Well, they they yeah. didn't toll the South Ring Road, and they didn't toll the Balancholic Bypass, and they haven't tolled the new McCroom Bypass to Killarney. Yeah. Uh, the North Roads were built already. The South Ring Road was was all all it required recently was a couple of bridges there over the the Magic Roundabout, the Kinsale and the Bandon Road roundabouts, right? All the little bridge flyovers. They were all there since the early nineties. It would be a bit Irish. No, they might try it, like, but would it be a bit Irish to come along and try a toll there. If you toll the McCroom bypass, everyone will just drive through McCroom again. It'll defeat the purpose. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should have a constitution. I know there's two uh, constitutional amendments being proposed for International mm-hmm. Women's Day next year. Maybe we should have one that any public private partnership should always mm-hmm. revert back to the ownership of the Irish people after an agreed um, profit period, shall we say. But you're missing the point, Mick. We don't need public private partnerships anymore. We have a load of uh, corporation tax. That they're putting in, they're holding in banks. They reckon that blows 13 billion. There's a big case going on in Europe. They don't want that either. They'll take the money off the Spanish investment. They won't take it from an Irish pension fund, as the gentleman told you earlier. They won't. The Irish people cannot invest in the toll road and, and get a tax free return out of it. The same with the property, yeah. the, the REIT. Irish people are not allowed to do them either. But foreigners can do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, a, about the, that's about the, that's about the size of it, yeah. And and yeah. you'll find that uh, you'll find that the local people are being penalised for for wanting to go to work to either drive their car or truck to go to work. Exactly. So you're 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 being taxed a, a double hit every time. Yeah, a texture says uh, in Ireland, living in Ireland, it's it's death by a thousand taxes. Exactly. Well, just agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Would agree with that. Yeah, the South Ring Road, apparently built by the corporation, finished in June 1996. It cost mm-hmm. £42 million pounds, pounds, uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So um, that would, it, you know, retrospectively, all of these projects appear to be great value. But they are a lot of money uh, in, in the time they're being built. At the time. But on that point, Mick, and I'm, I'm glad you raised that there now, right? On that point, let's just say back in the day, you know, we got private money to build that South Ring Road there and the £42 million, which was a massive amount of money back then, right? Over time, inflation has reduced the value of that 42 million. In today's money, no, that could cost you about 300 million. You know, that kind of way. 
Yeah, so, I, I mean, it's, it's costing them a lot more to do the Dunkettle interchange oh. now when it should have been done with the tunnel. Exactly. So, like, the money that was invested, we'll say, to um, build the M50, case on point now, right? The, the money that... Like, that's small in today's in today's world. Why hasn't it been paid back and said, there you go now, lads? Why hasn't the contract with the PPP got a clause in that at some point the state can come back and say to them, look, here's back your money now, go on away, lads. Yep. Uh, here, here, here's, here's an interesting text. Uh, hi, Mick. They built a tunnel under the River Shannon to ease traffic and then they told it. Hence, Limerick mm-hmm. City is still gridlocked as motorists mm-hmm. refuse to be hijacked by tolls. So it's defeated the purpose of alleviating yeah. Limerick's traffic problems. Now, that tunnel mm-hmm. is run by Direct Route Limerick uh, mm-hmm. Limited. They made a 3.8 million euro loss. So that texture would seem to be correct. And Mick, their loss is covered by the state. They get a they yes, get a subsidy yeah. if they don't get if they don't get enough vehicles passing through it to make that that operation viable or break even, they can recover their loss yeah. in the state. Yeah, okay. yeah, it comes out of general. It comes out of all general taxation. Is correct or the exchequer? Let, let me move to a, a very, very quickly to an article from the Clare Champion. Operating profits of the consortium, which operates the eight hundred million euro Limerick tolled tunnel last mm. year, mm. Uh, more than doubled to sixteen point four four million. That would seem to go against uh, <laughs> now new routes, yeah. n- new accounts for direct route, uh, direct route Limerick last year enjoyed an operating profit surge and revenue soared by thirty eight percent. That would seem to go mm. against well. Text to us saying, a large contributor to the surge in revenues was Transport Infrastructure Ireland, making operating payments of mm-hmm. 8.77 million to Direct Route Limerick. The 8.77 million is a nine-fold increase uh, in that which was given out in 2020. Uh, by the way, all the figures we're quoting are 2021. The National Road Network recovered traffic volumes from the early pandemic and the company's toll income last year increased by 15.4%. It also mm-hmm. received a traffic guarantee payment of 8.4 million. The traffic the guarantee payments are made when daily traffic volumes don't exceed 23,000 and they they were put in place at the outset of the project in order to attract consortia to build the scheme. This it flies in the face of logic. If people vote with their feet and don't vote with their accelerator and don't use the tunnel, the taxpayer is paying anyway. Yeah. That's 8.77 million of taxpayers' money to prop up a company that was already making 8 million profit. Hmm. And that's going on wholesale. No. When we get a road of high quality between Cork and Limerick, I will put money on it. It will be told. You will be putting money on it. I'll put money on it. And all the people complaining about the traffic in Charleville and Butterfint and all these places will still have traffic in Charleville and Butterfint. The toll barrier will be down. There'll be 40 cars going up to it a day and the, and the taxpayer will be on the hook for paying okay. for the road that it should have paid for first day anyway. I think bit by bit the, the Irish psyche is uh, is embracing the sentiment that enough is enough. We're seeing it across all sorts of uh, areas of of community. And this yeah, is but, uh, this yeah, is a step too far, yeah. I think, too quickly anyway. Yeah, but Nick, across the board... The Irish people have been very slow to, to, to wake up to, to exactly what's uh, been run in our country. Yeah. Guys, it's, 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 been, great, it's been great talking to you. Final comments, please. I have to, have to move on. I said enough, Mick. I, I'll talk to the next day, all right? <laughs> Cheers. Is that Morris or John? Yeah, that's me. That's me, Morris, yeah. All right. John, any final words? Well, l- listen, we'll, ha- we'll have to kind of a conversation uh, like this on the radio and, and get people interested and, and get them activated. But unless people will keep the, if you'll pardon the pun, keep the pedal to the metal, we're going nowhere. 
Okay. We leave it there. Morris and John, thank you very much. We've uh, spent a bit more time on that than we should have, but back to the business of the programme uh, after this short break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Big reaction to some of our items. Uh, I'll get to some of those texts in the course of time. want to remind you, though, about Finton Reardon Christmas trees on the Neil Prenderville Show. The tree farm that Finton Reardon runs is the most environmentally friendly in Cork, and they've got the stats to prove it sustainable and organic approaches to Christmas trees. Centre Park Road and Currabeg and Ovens is where you'll find a tree to suit everyone. And these range from 2 to 30 feet. They're also members of the Irish Christmas Tree Growers Organic Farming Association, Forestry Association and Carbon Credits Group Ireland. We have a daily prize of two Christmas trees to give away. And uh, listen out for when we open the lines and uh, you can pop along to one of their two locations and pick out their own tree. But this is what you're listening for, for our Michelle Judas competition between 11 o'clock and 12. The old Shirley Bassey classic and just a little hook from it there of Diamonds Are Forever. What about a business that's been over 60 years in business in Cork? A family-run business with the very best of bespoke jewellery for any occasion. Michellejewellers.ie for your pre-visit shopping. Uh, there you can peruse the wide range and then go in for the more personal touch uh, and touch and feel the quality items. Because the quality is right, the service is right, they have the expertise and they're there for you. When you hear that clip of Diamonds Are Forever by Shirley Bassey, Text DIAMONDS to 0868104106 and then two listeners will go head-to-head picking a random card from a deck of diamonds. So 13 diamonds in a 52-card pack. We've separated them out. Uh, Number two is low and we're going to call aces high like they do in poker. And the listener who draws the highest diamond wins a 200-euro voucher for Michelle the Jewellers. So between 11 and 12, listen for this. And we have uh, from our uh, interview with Terry Prone a lot of texts coming in. Dolly looks amazing. She is a performer after all. She's got a fab body for 77. Uh, Jealous people everywhere. You go, girl. Dolly is fab. Those who criticised her at Sand People. I tell you, jealousy is a worse complaint than arthritis. Go on, Dolly. If I had a body like that, I'd dress like that too. She looks fabulous. She's an icon. Couldn't expect anything less. It's 100% in Dolly's favour here. I think she looks amazing. Well done, Dolly. Looks amazing. She looks fantastic. You can be sure she rightfully doesn't care what anyone thinks about her. She should never change. She looks far better than Madonna, to be honest. And if I was to dress the way I feel, I would be dressing for my 90th birthday. If I was to dress how I look, uh, I'd be approximately 50, which would be age-appropriate. And a big laugh emoji with that one. Thank you for that. Growing old beautifully as only Dolly can. They're just jealous, for God's sake. The woman looks amazing for her age and can still perform. Uh, and on and on and on. Pages and pages and pages of them. So thank you very much for your reaction there. Uh, on other issues, on nicknames, which we were talking about with Rory on previous programmes. Hi, make we a young fella on work experience. He would come in on Friday, so I christened him Robinson because all the work was done by Friday. Uh, that's from Frick, Frick Murphy. Uh, Friday, of course, was the name of Robinson Crusoe's servant. Or Man Friday. 
to be more particular. Also the name of a lovely and fantastic restaurant in Kinsale. Uh, Sinn Féin and the left in power will throw open the doors and let all and sundry in. Then they will blame landlords and Airbnb for lack of housing. You just watch, uh, said uh, Paddy. I mentioned the manage yesterday. Hi Mickey took the words right out of my mouth. As Meatloaf said, I've been paying a manage since my 20s. I'm still paying a manage today and I'm 80 years of age. On the GAA and GAA Go uh, topic we did yesterday, Hi Mick, all GAA fans should stop paying the RTE television licence until this is undone. Then they have a perfect excuse if they're brought to court. Cheers, says Mick Doney O'Donoghue in Greenmount. Mick, if you're over 70 in Ireland, you don't pay a TV licence, so why are some 70 plus year olds being discriminated against. Mick, I agree with this man in relation to the GAA. My dad's been supporting Cork GAA for over 70 years now and can't go to a local game because he has no smartphone. GAA Go is affecting Cork GAA. Cork may not be top ranked at the moment, but their supporters are the most loyal and have been supporting them for many, many years. And this is how they're repaid, by asking them for more money. Many older people wouldn't be able to use GAA Go even if they got it, uh, says uh, a texture. Very well done to Finbar and Paddy for speaking up on behalf of all of us. The GAA are the usual greedy selves. Uh, that's from Kath. Uh, I agree with Paddy and Finbar, not just the elderly. People should wake up. We're walking into a digital economy and we need to resist, says Helen. Uh, Hi Mick, you're dealing with the Grab All Association after all, says Pat. Uh, Mick, will you ask, uh, are pensioners prices in GEA clubs at the bar? They should be cheaper than in pubs. Uh, That's another text from Frick. And anyone over 65 uh, should be left on GEA Go for free. They've paid their dues and fees in life, especially to the GAA. The GAA are miserable. So, Uh, A lot of sentiment there. On the Beata topic, uh, you didn't say anything about the woman living in the shed today. I was thinking about her last night in that cold and the poor misfortunes who were lying on our streets. It's just awful. And no human being should have to live like that. Leo and Michal are grand and warm in their big houses. They have a lot to answer for Mick, says Marie in Clan. And we will come back to to that topic and, and that story. Uh, over the course of the week. If we can't do it today, certainly tomorrow or Friday, we will come back to that. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. Now, if you'll be overseas for Christmas, or if you've a loved one who's overseas for Christmas, we want you to get in touch with Paddy Box. Send an email to neil at redfm.ie telling us why we should send you or your loved one a hamper for Christmas. And don't forget to include your contact number, of course. And the Paddy Box is a great idea. connects those around the world to Ireland, a little slice of Ireland, by allowing customers to create a ship box of Irishness around the globe. You can check it out at thepaddybox.com. Uh, and we have a special Paddy Box put together for our contestants and for our winners which will be winging its way to four corners of the world. It includes Tanora, the Messages bag, Ballymaloo relish, McDonald's curry sauce, Cadbury's eclairs, uh, the old school sweets. There's ten different ones right from cola lollipops to love hearts drumsticks and wham bars etc Boland's Custard Creams, Jacob's Mikado and Chocolate Kimberly's, Cadbury's Purple Snacks, Cadbury's Dairy Milk and the all important Barry's Tea and Tato Cheese and Onion. Chloe in Oz, good morning Chloe or good evening to you <laughs> Morning, how are things? Okay, uh, Neil, my daughter Chloe is in Sydney, first year will not be together for Christmas, tell me the story, this is Tina, not Chloe, I beg your pardon <laughs> Chloe you're there are you? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, my fault completely. I misread everything. Tina, good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Very good. I've given away the surprise. Your daughter, <laughs> Chloe, is in Sydney. She's on the line. That was my fault. 
first, she certainly is. She first year you're not together. Alive. You're together now on the air. So please tell us the story. Christmas was difficult for her as a child, I believe. Correct. I know she'd give out to me now for talking about it, Mick, but yes, unfortunately, Kui was a cancer child at three and a half years of age. And we, I suppose we had three very difficult Christmases, but she's a fighter. She came out the other end of it and she decided to live her life to the full. She's now teaching. Uh, she taught in Dubai last year for a year and she wanted to go further afield. So she headed off to Sydney in um, September. So she's just finished her farm work where she has been bagging sheep for for the last 82 days. <laughs> and she is heading to Sydney to teach. And she is hopefully going to the concert on Friday night to... Who is it, Chloe, again, that you're going to? Jeremy Kennedy. Oh, yeah, so she's going to Dermot Kennedy. So, yeah, so she's done the hard work now. So she's heading to Sydney. So, yes, it is the first year that we won't have her home. So Chloe loves her, her tea bags and her home treats or whatever. So this is why I contacted you, Mick. Um, we would be honoured if you would send her something. OK, and uh, of course he's, of course we will, but she's got two younger siblings, Katie and James. Katie's also living yeah. abroad, nursing in Edinburgh, but she's going to be home. Uh, and, uh, she's flying in on the 27th, yeah. So okay. she's, uh, Joey just gra- or Katie just graduated as a nurse in Edinburgh. She was in college there for three years, and she will be home on the 27th for a week. So a big shout-out to, to Katie in the Royal Hospital in Edinburgh. She's listening this morning as well. And while a paddy box can never pretend to take the place of direct family contact and hugs and kisses. It will go a long way. A little slice of cork, Chloe. What would be your favourite in the paddy box? Would, would it be the Barry's tea or the, or the Tato's? I was going to say, yeah, um, I was going to say to my mother, I was like, she's made her those Barry's tea bags in there anyway, and um, you know, you can't beat the Cadbury as well, because you know, when you move abroad, like Cadbury's different when you're after moving away. Um, yeah, you can't beat the Irish anyway. Okay. Well, well, we'll get it along to you. So how, how long do you intend to stay away? You want a limited visa? Oh, yeah. So working holiday visa. So when you do your 88 days um, away in a farm, you're, that allows you to extend your visa to a second year. And then, um, yeah, I won't say, I won't say I'll be away forever, but um, I kind of take it year by year, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's... it's I think it's fair that if you contribute to yeah. Australian farming and to horticulture, or whatever, that you get to mm. enjoy it for that. They they know they have something that people want. Um, yeah, yeah. I think as well, you know, when you when you get your you kind of get your mid twenties, like you know, I have a lot of friends over here. I have a lot of friends in Dubai. A lot of friends in Canada. You know, like it's just kind of something you kind of want to do, go away and do. And um, also, it's it's savage crack over here. And like with the football and camogie as well. You know, you get a bit of taste of home, like, and you settle straight in. You get you settle straight in straight away, like. So, how old are you, Chloe? I'm 26. Okay, and do you think you're of a generation now that uh, tra- travel is a requisite before you ever, you know, want to come home and settle down? Yeah, I think like I think it's definitely something I wanted to do always. Like, I mean, when I went to Dubai last year, um, like when we had school holidays, we went away to Thailand for two weeks. And then we finished up for summer holidays and we went to Sri Lanka. Um, actually, the Komogi Club. Fabulous. Over in Dubai. Tina, the, I, 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 Tina before, before we go, I need to ask you, you, know, you, when Chloe was three, she had a stage four Wilms tumour. Now, you guys would have spent a lot of time in Crumlin. She'd part of a lung removed, also relapsed, sadly, and had to have a bone marrow transplant. But apparently, Correct. flying now. 
you have no idea. She is just an inspirational to anybody. Like when Chloe would be in ICU, she'd be trying to jump out of the bed. She's an absolutely inspirational to anybody that's going through treatment. Um, you know, it was difficult at the time, but we've come out the other side, but she doesn't like to talk about it anymore. But this is why she's living the dream now and living her life. And we're so, so, so proud of her. Oh, brilliant. Chloe, have a great Christmas in Oz. It's going to be tinged with a little sadness being away, of course. But you're on your great adventure. I am, ma'am. Thanks very much, Mick. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks, We'll Mick, get, thank we'll, you so we'll, much. We'll Happy get Christmas. that paddy box to Chloe in Oz and it'll brighten up Christmas Day at least with the Barry's tea and, and the chocolate she and everything. Thank you so much. Happy Christmas to you all Thanks, there. guys. Happy Christmas to all. We'll, ha- we'll, we'll have another paddy box caller tomorrow as we give out those lovely goodies, those lovely goodies from Cork and Ireland around the world. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now then, after a little pizza item there, uh, we want to stay with food, but on a very, very intensely sad topic. We have have a statement from uh, Tony's Bistro in 69 North Main Street. It is with the deepest sorrow that we announce the passing of our hero, James O'Connor, our amazing brother, our legendary chef, super dad, husband and friend to all. On his 40th birthday yesterday, December 5th, James set a goal to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, along with his dear friend Alan. Sadly, a few hundred feet from the summit, James suffered a heart attack and passed away. Tony's Bistro will remain closed uh, closed today. And uh, they sent these lovely words. Climb the mountain, not to plant your flag, but to embrace the challenge. Enjoy the air and behold the view. Climb it so that you can see the world, not so the world can see you. From Tony's Bistro... Uh, brother, dad, legendary chef, husband, friend to all, passed away yesterday on his 40th birthday, uh, doing what he wanted to do, uh, it has to be said, but trying to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, a few hundred feet from the summit, sadly suffering a heart attack and passing away. So um, uh, our sympathies, our thoughts and prayers, I know it's a cliche, but uh, just trying to imagine what you guys are going through in Tony's Bistro. At the passing of your hero, James O'Connor, and for, uh, as a mark of respect, Tony's Bistro will remain closed today. Uh, now then, if you want to get in touch with the programme, you can phone us on 0818 or by text on 086-8104-106. And I'm joined on our WhatsApp line by David Malone, the Chief Executive of the Irish League of Credit Unions. Uh, good morning to you, David. Good morning. You've got some fantastic news over the last uh, 24 hours as a credit union movement. Yes, fantastic financial results. We've just issued our financial results for the year end of 30 September and they're really astounding results. We've seen an annual growth in the loan book of credit unions by up over 12% and that has cemented our market leading share of more than 44% of the unsecured personal loan market. And those loans are typically used for household improvements, retrofit to homes, buying cars, paying for weddings, a multitude of of different reasons. And um, it's been fantastic to see that. And, you know, going under the bonnet of those statistics a bit as well, we've seen that in the last year, we've issued 8,000 loans per week at a value of about 50 million. And that's great to see, I think, that kind of impact on on local people and communities. Okay, the the most uh, shocking thing for me, because I didn't realise it myself, is that there's been a huge increase in mortgages which are being taken at the credit union and there is a huge difference in the interest rates you charge to that charged by the main street banks. Can you elaborate? 
Yes, we've seen a huge surge in public demand for credit union mortgages. So around the country, a significant number of credit unions are now offering mortgages. And the lending, the loan book for mortgages has increased by over 50% in the last 12 months, up to nearly 500 million, which is a, which is a great milestone for us. And really to understand the rationale for that increase, one, as you've mentioned, is around the rates. Credit unions, as you know, have a very different business model to other banks or financial services sector operators. We have member savings. We bring them into the credit unions. And then in a very prudent way, we lend those on to support people out there in terms of purchasing homes. And there's been a great increase in that. Our rates can vary, but uh, we see very competitive rates of about 3 to 4% in most cases in credit unions. Certainly the number of the credit unions in Cork in particular offering those rates. But combined with that as well, what's really important to note is that we also offer that personal touch. So we have 400 locations around the country. I think we've we've about um, 50 locations in Cork where you can go into the credit union office. You can meet people and meet them face to face. We're not a Marie Celeste branch where you just you go into your bank branch and all you see is a host of machines with no human interaction. We're very different. That's a new one on me, the Marie Celeste branch. <laughs> Yeah, very much. But I think that's our unique aspect. You know, we're all about people helping people. We've people around the country in credit unions who are financial experts and they're there to help. They're there to help credit union members make the right financial decisions. Yeah, I, I'm interested in the mortgage section because we have a, a huge raft of listeners who would be struggling to get on that, uh, to use the much abused cliche, the property ladder. Uh, so let's let's focus in on the differences here. You've, you've mentioned the personal touch. You've mentioned loans on rates. Uh, rates on loans, I beg your pardon, as low as 2.9%. About half of of your uh, credit unions, there are uh, how many? There are 200 credit unions in the state, half of them now offering mortgages. But there's a new initiative, I believe, where those who aren't offering mortgages can make a kind of a beneficial referral, if you like, to uh, one that is. So you can, uh, you know, I've got a friend here, I've got a customer here, uh, who was looking for a mortgage, I can't supply it. I'm referring them into a bigger credit union where they might get access to that money. Absolutely, yes. And I think, you know, in Cork, there's five, nearly 500,000 members uh, of credit unions in Cork, which is phenomenal. And it shows the success of the Cork credit unions. And particularly in terms of that point, there's new legislation coming for credit unions, which you're referring to, that's coming to its very final stages. It just went through the Shannon yesterday. And Minister Carl McNeil has been really supportive of driving that legislation forward. It will provide the platform now for credit unions to come together more collaboratively and for more credit unions to provide mortgages across the country. And that is our ambitious vision for mortgages for credit unions, is that all members of the public can have access to a credit union mortgage. And that's certainly a vision we're working on. We're working with groups of credit unions to establish an entity that will provide that back office support for credit unions. Uh, but yes, of course, retaining that individual member connection on the front line with the member and the credit union themselves. Yeah, I, I remember some historic uh, credit union advertisement. You know the way you pass some of the billboards as you're driving around the country? Loans of up to 50 grand loans of up to 70 grand what's the uh, the upper limit now that you can uh, you can get if applying for a mortgage if you qualify with a credit union well, generally now, there's no upper limit. So, so really the, the perspective now is the credit union will assess the ability to repay and we'll look at that in terms of your ability to repay and assess that. And we'll have that knowledge from yourself as being a member of a credit union. And that will be the key driver in particular in terms of, you know, accessing the mortgage activity. Credit unions are very supportive. We have funds to lend. Um, you know, we have member savings that, you know, we can lend out. And that's really much our, our, our focus now is driving a nationwide proposition of mortgages across the country um, and having that national brand ultimately for fixed and variable rate mortgages. 
Okay, I've got an example here. Douglas, which is not too far from us here at the radio station, has a variable mortgage of 375 You can borrow up to €500,000. That's up to uh, 35 years. This is for a joint application. There's a certain uh, prudence, and I'll speak to uh, our next uh, contributor, Joey Sheehan, of My Mortgages, about this perhaps. Uh, But uh, taking a longer mortgage at a younger age is often the cheapest money you'll get. Is that correct? It is, it is, and I think you know it's great to give you know to Douglas examples. There's a number of credit unions, as, as you know, there's about 26 credit unions in Cork, and um, you know providing great services to their members. But, but I think the difference with the credit union, it's a lifetime decision to buy a home, and you need support in that process. And that's where I think you know credit unions are embracing digital technology. But it goes back to my point about the Mary Celeste branches. This is very important for the credit union sector. You have face-to-face contact. It is about having a lifetime relationship with your lender in respect of purchasing a home, and. That's very much what, what credit unions can offer, I think. Not competitive rates, yes, but on top of that, having that lifetime relationship and that key financial advice. And we really are so much more than just financial numbers. Our financial numbers are really impressive, but what we always hold paramount, actually, is our performance in terms of the quality of our services, our trust and our reputation. Our bottom line is really people, and it always will be. So new legislation is coming in. Forgive me for thinking that in, in the past... Uh, credit unions were insular, insular and they were specific to a town, almost to a parish, uh, if you like. But now there seems to be a, a, a coalescing of the credit unions into a league of credit unions that, uh, as you mentioned, will offer a national brand. Yes, well, uh, the credit unions will always have that unique community impact and being the locations. As I mentioned in Cork, you know, you, you currently have 50 different locations. I think it's vital to have that community links. But what we are seeing in this new legislation now is the opportunity for credit unions to come together, share resources and generate economies of scale, while still maintaining their independence as individual credit unions. But it offers the opportunity by doing some activities more centralised that credit unions can offer a wider range of services. And certainly mortgage is one aspect of that, but also business lending. Uh, business lending is very complex as well. And again, you need that interaction in terms of meeting the, the financial advisor, the credit union, to understand the business plans of the advisor. And we've seen that particularly uh, very prevalent in Cork, a number of credit unions very involved in Cultivate, which is the agri-lending group, um, which has now hit €100 million Euro of lending since its inception about three years ago. And that's been a great example of credit unions coming together on a common brand and developing that support for the farming community. They're very much a, a leader now in agri-lending. And I think that we can do adopt a similar approach for mortgages and ultimately wider commercial SME lending as well. Okay, reading uh, your contribution to the Irish Independent, uh, I get the impression that your sector has big plans to take on the banks in the home loan sector. Uh, A big, big ambition is to issue one in ten of all mortgages in this market. Uh, is Is it correct that the legacy banking service and the legacy banking industry, which was always very highly staffed, labor intensive, costly, perhaps a little impersonal, Uh, We we now see it contracting, people leaving the market. Are the credit unions nimble and able enough now to, to fill this void and grow exponentially? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about good customer outcomes and good consumer outcomes. So we can see the financial service sector has contracted significantly. There's now only three remaining banks. There used to be about 15 pre the financial crisis, and they control over 90% of the mortgage market at the moment and have dominant in another, other, a number of other areas as well. And credit unions can be nimble and agile. You know, our vision across the sector and credit unions share this, you know, collaboratively is for a vibrant, dynamic movement that's very relevant uh, to people going forward. And we can see that as well.
well in terms of current accounts as well. Many credit unions offer, offer current accounts across the country and now 10% of current accounts in Ireland are now held with a credit union. And that has best-in-class digital app. It also has access to Google Pay, Fitbit and Apple Pay. So that is where we're moving forward. And I think we're, we are very ambitious in that part. We have a, a strong market-leading share of personal lending. We've grown our... Oh, I think we've lost him, have we? David, you're still there? Oh, we've lost him. Okay, let's go. Let's go to uh, Joey Sheehan of My Mortgages in Line 2. Hi, Joey. Hello, how's it going, Mick? Good. Now, having a credit union offering mortgages uh, would seem to be, uh, you know, great to have another player in the market, but one that seems so personal, if, if I can put it that way. Yeah, well, the first thing is um, the more people supplying mortgages in the market, great news for the consumer and congratulations to uh, David and all the credit unions that, that are uh, offering mortgages because this is good news for consumers. Uh, David is back on the line, by the way, Joey. Um, welcome back, David. Yeah, thank you. We'll just listen to Joey for a moment. Carry on, Joey. Yeah, so the more the more players in the market, the better for the borrower and hopefully the less interest they will pay in the long term. Um, so, yeah, it's great to hear. And I suppose us as a brokerage, you know, we, we're similar to the credit union. We would always pride ourselves on our personal touch and we have an office and you can come in and meet us. Um, you know, it, it's great to see that they're doing the same thing, keeping in touch with your clients. I think with the whole digital world, I only spent the last hour um, online trying to get myself guard vetted so I could coach the Corcon under eight uh, rugby team and I kept getting logged out. I think guard vetting takes six weeks or so now, doesn't it? Yeah, but just to even apply, so I couldn't get through the process. Now, maybe I, I wasn't fully up to speed on it, but my point is I would prefer to walk into an office, meet somebody uh, and deal with them. And that, that's that's great to hear that the credit union is offering that. And we, we also, as brokers, would offer the same thing, you know, keep the personal relationship, you know, deal with people physically. And we can deal with people online as well, but, you know, um, keep choice for people. Okay. Now, the ECB has moved to 4.5% in its interest rates in the past 16 months. Some speculation uh, that there may be uh, some reductions coming in the in, at the end of Q1 uh, and that maybe it will, over the course of next year, drop to 4%. The credit union's uh, rate seems to be significantly lower, with variable mortgages at um, as low as 3.75%. What's your advice on variable versus fixed at the moment, Joey? Well, variable is 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 a tricky um, product for for borrowers, especially for such you know the biggest investment in a lot of people's lives. Like for example, uh, I'm not going to say anything um, against permanent TSB, but permanent TSB increased their variable rate last week, um, and they can decide to do that any time they wish. Now, to commend permanent TSB, in the same hand, they did drop their four-year fixed rate uh, to about. 4% is the lowest four-year fixed rate they have for under 60% loan-to-value as of last week. So it, it, the funding of a bank or the funding of uh, any lender is dependent on a number of factors. And, you know, the markets, money in the markets, the ECB, you know, if they have arrears or, or loans in default, things like that. So for, for a reason that can be unforeseen, um, a bank or a lender may have to increase their interest rates in order to remain viable. And that can happen, you know, we saw, I suppose, a financial crash back in 2008. There's all sorts of scenarios that can happen. I'm not trying to scaremonger people, but I think anybody buying a house, and certainly myself, and in general, I think 80 plus percent of the market are fixed rates. So a variable rate, you know, you could get a lower variable rate today, but there's no guarantee that rate will be lower in a month, six months, or in a year. 
Um, and as well, you know, I think just as an example of permanent TSB, um, their variable rate as of last week is in the region of about 4.7, I think, 4.4 to 4.7. So when rates were down at a low, the variable rate actually wasn't that much lower, the standard variable rate. And I think the same with the credit unions, and David could answer that. If the ECB drops 2%, I don't think it's necessarily that the credit unions will drop 2% off their rate. They would review all of their funding. So a variable rate, while it might be good value today, it may actually not be the best value in the long term. Okay, do you want to come in on that, David? Yeah, the funding model, as Joey mentioned, the funding model of credit unions is very different to non-bank lenders or, or the banks. We we get our funding in from member savings and we've seen our asset size, which depicts the member savings, more than double over the last 20 years. So there's great faith in credit unions and members you know, putting their savings into credit unions. So we use those savings then. Our mantra is all about people helping people. So we recycle those savings then in a very safe and prudent way to provide lending to you know people out there. Um, you know, I can see in Cork in the last... In the last 12 months, there was 1,000 loans issued a week at 7 million euro. That's the kind of value that's getting out there into, into the communities and people and supporting them. So that's very much our model. Our model is about you know using those savings. We have funds to lend as a sector. We have about 11 billion euro that is available to lend at this point in time across the credit union sector. Those funds are available to us. So we're not subject to the vagrancies of the or variabilities or okay. volatility. Of, speaking uh, of, 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 speaking of being subject to things, are you guys as constrained as maybe the banks? are legally when it comes to loan to value ratios same same rules apply for us as well yeah they'll be the same um, we, we do have in terms of some regulatory uh, impacts in terms of the central bank who apply certain regulatory uh, impacts on ourselves and we're discussing those with them particularly as we evolve and you can see the, the huge growth now in the mortgage and the demand for people uh, for credit union mortgages and we continue those discussions okay. with them and can you accept people switching their mortgages perhaps from traditional banks to credit unions Oh, absolutely, and we'd encourage it. Um, and I think um, a great, a great, a great offering we have, just in terms of rate, but also, as I say, in terms of that lifetime relationship. If you're even not a member of a credit union, join the credit union, and you can be a member, which means you have a say in how the credit unions run. Credit unions are run by uh, over three thousand directors nationwide who are providing that professional service pro bono. They're intrinsic in the community, and they drive the strategy and community focus of the credit union. Okay, another one. Why are credit unions not giving out dividends? Some are. I think it's, it's a review for each credit union to consider um, in terms of looking at their own financial perspective. And certainly credit unions don't make profits, they make surpluses. And then they review those surpluses in terms of either you know potentially paying a dividend and that each one will consider that. But also what they will consider as well is the quality of their service. And sometimes they will reinvest uh, surpluses into improving and enhancing their service offering. Okay. Uh, Joey of My Mortgages, uh, I assume you're very much like an insurance broker and in that you're non-biased when it comes to uh, who provides the service to your clients. Uh, in looking for better rates, is the uh, is the credit union a viable option for you? Well, every lender should be considered. <coughs> Excuse me. Some other banks would would offer um, cashback offers and different types of inducements as well. So when you're looking at um, a mortgage, you know you need to look at it first of all for the long term. You need to look at absolutely variable rates, also fixed rates, also what cashback is an offer. So um, you know it, it can vary from bank to bank. Also, don't forget that you know there's about we have agencies with six lenders at the moment, and then you've got the credit unions. You've got a couple of new lenders coming in, so hopefully you'll have you know eight, nine, ten lenders by next year. So every bank has a different credit policy. Also, so if I'm looking for a mortgage, not every bank is necessarily going to approve me for the same amount. 
banks will treat variable pay differently they'll treat if you've changed jobs if you're on probation depending where the house is if you're doing works renovations on the property maybe building a house switching mortgages if you're based abroad um, there's all sorts of, of, of different nuances and I suppose the whole reason why why we're here and why I have a job is because of that very reason and I would urge people to um, you know if you are buying building switching your mortgage trading up trading down buying an investment property whatever it is come come, come give, give us a call we'll we'll review everything and everyone for you and we'll make a recommendation at that point and and you know we look at every lender and it's great that yeah. the credit union is on the table now okay so i guess the main thrust of the message here is for people who are looking to get on that property ladder is to go and get face to face with people like your credit union manager or people like the likes of yourselves joey joey sheehan and my mortgages uh, and and get the advice and, and knowledge is power as they say joey there's been a very complimentary text coming about you having dealt with joey in the last few months. I can confirm Joey's company have been on the ball uh, with keeping in touch. So thank you, Joey. One more question for David before we leave it. Uh, what about if mortgages are a negative equity, David? Can they still switch or would you consider them? We certainly consider it. I think it's for each individual credit union to have a consideration of that. And again, this comes back to the opportunity where if you're in negative equity, as Joey said, come in, go into your local credit union office who are offering mortgages and have a conversation with them. And we're always there. We, we don't treat people as numbers. We treat them as individuals. And we will look at your individual circumstances. It will be obviously the ultimate credit union decision, but certainly we'll be treated with compassion and care and, a, and an understanding and hearing as well. All right. David Malone, Chief Executive of the Irish League of Credit Unions and Joey Sheehan of My Mortgages. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Neil Prendeville Show this morning. Thank you. It's coming up on 11.30. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Prendeville Show is on Cork's Red FM. And it's coming up on 26 minutes to uh, 12 midday. Uh, speaking of Kira Evans, by the way, who's off of the week, the great Stephanie Rainey is sitting in for Kira, uh, And as some of the most in-demand tickets the uh, country has to give away. This Thursday at Crane Lane, the secret headliner will take to the stage. Secret headliner. No one knows who they are. Could be Ed Sheeran. You never know. Uh, all we know is that they're one of the biggest... Oh, it's not Irish act. It's an Irish... One of the biggest Irish acts around. Uh, they've played international tours and sold out major venues like the Three Arena in Dublin. So these tickets for this kind of a secret performance are like gold dust. Uh, so if you want to win your way in, stay listening to uh, Stephanie Rainey, who's sitting in for Kira Revens. Now then, the Fenton Reardon Christmas trees. We'll open the lines. We'll take texture 9 and 10 please. Uh, two Christmas trees to give away every day. Finton Reardon's Tree Farm, the most environmentally friendly in Cork. So if you're of a green leaning, this is the place to buy your tree. They've got the stats to prove it. Sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees and you can pick your own Christmas tree from one of their two locations, one on the Centre Park Road and one in Currabeg in Ovens. And there's a tree to suit everyone, big or small uh, in size and in coverage from 2 to 30 feet. And of course, they're also uh, officially accredited with uh, membership of the Irish Christmas Tree Growers Organic Farming Association, Forestry Association and Carbon Credits Group Ireland. So uh, get texting 86 to win there. Uh, now, I mentioned the uh, apparent uh, shootout that people thought there was a huge drugs shootout going on uh, on the Matthew. This is essentially an empty ship. Uh, all of the uh, contraband has been fully removed. Uh, so 
we've received an update from the uh, the Defence Forces press office. Yes, there was a training exercise. It's currently ongoing in Marina Point. The firing has ceased at that location and the exercise concludes tomorrow afternoon. We've received a number of reports of strange noises which sound like fireworks or gunshots uh, in the Cove and Passage area. No further information uh, at, pres- at present on our end. Uh, but it wasn't uh, a shootout between uh, forces of the state and people trying to get uh, their hands on millions worth of drugs which have uh, already been removed by the way. Uh, but the Defence Forces Press Office say there is a training exercise currently ongoing in Marina Point. Firing a stop for now at the location and the exercise concludes tomorrow afternoon. Uh, now then, one final text before I go back to our phone call, and I really, really, this has really taken me, this one uh, that came in. There are nine minutes during the day that have the greatest impact on a child. The first three minutes, right after they wake up, the three minutes after they come home from school, and the three minutes of the day before they go to bed. Make those minutes special and help our children feel special, loved and accepted. Every day, children need meaningful eye-to-eye conversations with a parent it's especially important to slow down and look them in the eye. Listen and respond with love. Hug your child, straighten her hair, pat him on the back and tell them how proud you are of him or her every day. A simple touch makes them feel connected to a parent in ways that words never will. Remember, actions speak louder than words. Not a lovely text. The nine minutes during a day that have the greatest impact on a child and where you should be connected uh, and uh, connected eyeballing as well. The first three minutes right after they wake up, the three minutes after they come home from school and the last three minutes of the day before they go to bed. Now then, the time is uh, twenty coming up on 22 minutes to 12 and Leo Nolte joins me on line one. Leo Nolte is a journalist with motorsport.ie and I would venture an all-around petrol head. Good morning, Leo. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm good. The passing of a legend, as synonymous uh, a name in motorsport as maybe the Dunlops would have been in, in motorcycle sport uh, with the passing of trailblazer Rosemary Smith. Yeah, absolutely. How long have you got? You know, incredible story. I mean, it's sad that she's gone, but what a life. What a life. And uh, just an absolute inspiration. You know, and we, we, we were at the um, the RAAC uh, uh, luncheon yesterday when the news came through and they paid tribute to her. And I'm on the way to the Motorsport Ireland Awards today in, in Santry and, and they'll be paying tribute to her there as well. And Leo Varadkar tweeted about her last night. Michael D. Higgins sent out a, a, a release a statement. Uh, just incredible stuff. For people that don't know her, um, she's the first lady of Irish motorsport. Um, she was glamorous. She was charming. She was incredibly quick. Very, very determined. Wouldn't have had it easy in the 60s when it wasn't the norm for females to compete. She used to say to us that uh, it was all very well that you're competing and everyone would pat you on the back and say, well done. Wasn't she refused the, uh, the ability to compete in Le Mans because of her gender? She was. She was. I mean, life was different back then, but, but it's changed because of people like her. And now we've got a host of Irish female drivers. You know, I mean, she won races at Mandela Park. She won races in the Phoenix Park. She won a coach. She won in Cork outright. You know, she won the, the Tulip Rally. Incredible stuff. I, I would urge your listeners to either get a hold of her book, Driven by Rosemary Smith, or else Google her today. You know, because just such a list list of achievements when it wasn't the norm. She really was a trailblazer, as you said. Yeah, she she was a tall and and leggy blonde, as as, as they say. And I I rem- I'm trying to remember seeing on YouTube. 
at one stage, I don't know, it was in the 60s or the 70s, that she was on an American program called Whose Line Is It Anyway? And, and you're trying to guess, you're trying to guess the, uh, the occupation or the, you know, the, the sport or the pastime or the endeavours of this person. Nobody could do it. They all thought she was Swedish because uh, someone of that sort of statuesque height uh, and with the blonde hair couldn't come from Ireland. And nobody got the fact that she was a, 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 at the top of the motorsport game. Yeah, I saw that clip on Twitter this morning. It's brilliant, but there's so much stuff about her. Yeah, she, I mean, she was, she was very, very good looking, very attractive. She used to tell us that her first works contract, a works contract is when you got to drive for a factory. That's the holy grail for any race or rally driver. And her first one was with Roots, who were Hillman and Chrysler and all those brands. And, and their cars were, at the time weren't competitive, but the team manager told her that he wanted her to dangle her legs off the bonnet of the car for photos. And, and, and that's what they did. But then they realized she could drive. <laughs> and then it went on and on and on and she actually had incredible performances at the wheel of a Hillman Imp which was you know not even 1000 TC but uh, she, she, she was very very talented yeah yeah and of course she competed uh, she, a big big long distance uh, competitor as well competing in eight Monte Carlo rallies and some of the hardest and most arduous long distance events oh nothing like modern day rallying yeah these these are on day and night no rest no fancy hotels no big dinners day and night day and night day and night Circuit of Ireland was five days but she did the Safari the, the Rally she did London to L- Sydney London to you know, Sydney that's, that's yeah. a hell of a drive yeah and, re- and really difficult you know and loads of the car braking and them trying to fix it themselves or stuff and the co-driver and stuff like that and the co-driver would have to drive because it was just so you know during between stages because it was too much driving for one person but Rosemary didn't like that she liked being in control yeah. she actually started off as a co-driver and she did a little bit of driving and they swapped over and she decided she was she much preferred the driving and she was very good at it so that kind of launched her career but she was a dress designer before that Okay, d- d- just stay with me Leo as we remember here on Red FM Rosemary Smith My name is Rosemary Smith and my passion in life is driving fast very fast When I was just starting on my career, people said, you take this too seriously. It's only a sport. And I said, no, if I'm competitive, I'm going out to win. For nobody is this rally more important than for Rosemary Smith. She's won very nearly every Coupe des Dames there is to win. She drives like nobody's business. Passion is something you must have because you're not ever going to succeed unless you have this real passion to do it. Somebody's really talented and they have this real determination to go in there and do something. They will do it by fair means or foul. It was very difficult. The boys sort of thought, oh, here's the dumb blonde coming out again. It took a long time for the men to actually, you know, accept me that I was one of them. You know, the older you get, and you sort of feel, well, time is sort of running out, so I've got to make the most of every moment. The late Rosemary Smith, and I think the key point there is that this dumb blonde is coming out again. It took her so long to break into this essentially male preserve and be respected as one of their own and a great driver. Absolutely. That's a great clip. And you can hear the, the drive in her voice and the determination in her voice. And that's what she was like. But yeah, she did. She had to knock down barriers and those barriers are still down and they're, and they're helping young female drivers, you know. And we've she's, got quite a lot of them in Ireland now. She's also, is it the oldest driver or the oldest female driver of a Formula One car? I understood it was the oldest driver, but I saw something yesterday that said oldest female driver. I doubt very much that anybody above 80 has driven the Formula One car, but she had to be assessed in France by Renault. So they, they put her in a road car, a Clio RS or something, and then it was through Renault Ireland. And then they put her in, I think, a Formula 3 car or a Formula Renault car. 
and they followed her around the track to make sure she could drive because they were thinking to themselves this you know 79 year old Irish lady and then she said she saw them all, all the French engineers nodding at each other and she <laughs> knew she was going to be allowed to drive the Formula 1 car you know Okay, and, and still of course the stupid and ridiculous questions persisted she was asked you know are you afraid you're going to crash and uh, she had a brilliant answer she said the only thing I'm worried about driving this car is not crashing it's stalling the car I don't want to make a fool of myself she said yeah 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 absolutely yeah no I, I think uh, rallying back then was completely different and it was I suppose sport and life in general wasn't as dramatised as it is is now so there were crashes and offs and fixing repairs and getting people to weld your car during events and like just incredible incredible stuff the stories are the stories of of Rosemary are brilliant and they'll they'll be her legacy you know I think it's wonderful to hear people speaking about it today and guys guys like you you know talking about it it's, it's fantastic well, the world's a poorer place for her passing, but as you said at the very start of the interview, what a life. It might be nice at this juncture as well to reference, uh, of course, the passing of Craig Breen last year. Uh, another rally icon. His family, of course, have established a new fund to help up-and-coming rally drivers, both male and female, to help with the costs of making it to the top. And I imagine there'll be um, memorial races or trophies or cups uh, in the Rosemary Smith name in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I think they're probably will. You know, I mean, the Craig Breen thing is being remembered. Craig was such a shock for everybody because he had a rough run for a while and he was coming back from it and he left some incredible quotes. Only a young man. And it was a freak, low-speed testing uh, accident that, that cost Craig his life just when he was starting to go really, really well. And I've no doubt he would have been a regular WRC winner. Uh, was he still around? We were all so proud of him. And that uh, foundation now is, is fantastic. They just announced in the last 10 days, as you say, we're going to support young drivers um, and another, a number of other people have come on board. Yes, and I do think there will be there will be ways of remembering Rosie and, and we'll, we'll know about that in the next few weeks, no doubt. All right, Leo Nolte, journalist with motorsport.ie. Enjoy the, uh, the big awards tonight, the Motorsport Ireland Awards. And thank you for coming on in tribute to the late, great Rosemary Smith. Not at all, thank you. Thank you, cheers. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show coming up now on 11 minutes to 12 midday. And uh, you know what that means, if you know what it means. And uh, we have the uh, Finton O'Reardon Christmas tree winners now. There can't be too many people uh, outside of Galway, that is, with a famous uh, box player. But Sharon Shannon is one of our winners. Uh, and Sharon Shannon is in Durris, in beautiful West Cork. So I'm sure uh, that not being a huge metropolis, everybody will know who Sharon Shannon in Durris is. So well done. Finton O'Reardon Organic Christmas Tree is yours. We'll send it a voucher. You can pick it up in uh, one of the two spots. Marie Kremen in Blarney is uh, the other Finton O'Reardon Christmas tree winner. Uh, a birthday shout out. Can you please wish my mom Rose Wallace a happy birthday for December 6th? That's from her daughter Jennifer. And of course, every time we talk about or have somebody on from Sinn Fein, we get a plethora of texts coming in. Make when you have Sinn Fein on, I switch off. All they do is spout hot air. I've enough of my own stress. That shower just makes me sick, says Mary. Uh, as much as I agree that the policing in this country is worrying, that Garda numbers are down, stations are closed, there's a lack of equipment, etc. I don't think Sinn Féin did themselves any favours by the vote on Helen McEntee. She did bring a, a lot of changes after Ashling Murphy's murder, as well as legislation on bullying, posting photos online and revenge posting. She's done a lot of good. I would support Sinn Féin, but the vote looked like it was just point scoring 
and just to have a go at the government, says Desi. Uh, hi, Maker, speaking to Dunica there. The whole system is a rat race. More guardie means more arrests, which means more money for representation in court. Then it means more prisoners in prison for our prisons, uh, which are bursting at the seams already. So it's a complete numbers game with politics. You see yourself that the sentences being handed down by the judiciary are minimal. Our justice system needs a complete overhaul. Uh, can you ask Jonica about the new hate speech laws? Uh, this affects everyone, especially in a time uh, where the crime rate is more important than this outrageous law. They supported it during the Doyle vote. Sinn Féin of great notions, is another texter. Mary Lou's the biggest bluffer of the lot. Our country is goosed. Anyone with half a brain can see that Europe is ruling our country. And uh, more text coming in on the subject. Four, three or four more, actually. Is Donica O'Leary in Cloud Cuckoo Land? Uh, all they're talking about is more policing. The problem is Sinn Féin's open border policy and this government. He should know uh, what more policing did in the six counties. There is an underlying issue with rapists, murderers and paedophiles entering the country from all over the world. All the politicians are living on another planet. There will be more attacks and more riots, maybe even a civil war. Why not give the people of Ireland a say in whether there is confidence in the Minister for Justice? Not wanting an election isn't good enough reason to vote in her favour. Same old tactics by our politicians, says another texture. In times of need, let's have a go at each other. Uh, it's time to change our political system to have them come together for the greater good. I'm continually surprised they can't see that themselves. Please don't share my details. Uh, will you ask Donica about immigration and applying stricter policies? And one more. Make the dirty political gutter ambush by government ministers on Sinn Féin yesterday was disgusting to watch. To make matters worse, they gloated on social media last night. I thought they denounced social media. Sinn Féin will have learned a lesson yesterday on dirty tactics. The government should not be the ones throwing stones in glass houses, as they have more than they can handle with their own scandals and scams. The government knows that Sinn Féin has grown as a genuine political contender and they're frightened. This government has been at the helm for some of the most heinous scandals this country has ever known. Sinn Féin has every right to call out the government, uh, says Anthony. Uh, on Shane McGowan, Shane McGowan's funeral, funeral should be televised, surely. Why the hell not? And on the subject of uh, Gardaí, uh, we have my daughters in Templemore. They're being released on the 16th of December. They need to go back to finish one or two exams in the new year. Uh, they were originally due to graduate on the 12th of January, but they were pulled out of an exam last week and told they were all going to be relocated to Dublin over Christmas. That'll help with the visibility, I guess. They were also told that they had to get their own accommodation. These kids have been on €160 Euro a week since October. How can they afford accommodation in Dublin over Christmas? I'm telling you, there will be a load of them marching in the new year because of this. And just a couple of quick ones. Plenty of guardy to man the ATMs when they are broken. It's a pity the Mickey Mouse media don't tell the truth and call out this regime ruining our country. That'll never happen. Uh, there's too much government advertising to pay ye off. OK, who is Sinn Féin going to blame when they get into government and all their great uh, promises fail and fail miserably. Uh, and uh, we'll be back in a moment with uh, our prime competition for the week with Michelle Jewellers. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Three minutes to 12 midday now and let's go to uh, our phone lines and to line one and to Orla O'Connor. Hi Orla. Hi, how are you? Good, you're in Ballyfehan, are you? 
yeah. Okay, our fabulous Michelle the Jewelers competition would see you if you win, taking away a 200 euro voucher. You can then go to uh, this family run business for bespoke jewelry for any occasion, over 60 years of experience. And uh, what would you do with the money if you won? Would you, uh, you use that Michelle Jewelers voucher on yourself? No, I'd treat my mum. She deserves it now, I think, after the year she's after going through. So, yeah, I'd treat her. Was it a tough (laughs) one, yeah? Yeah, the gear were just, you know, bits and pieces, like, but sure. We we got there in the end, so we'll be... Well, hopefully now if I get this. <laughs> That's the spirit. Well, your competitor is Laura O'Gorman. Good morning to you, Laura. Hi. Hi, you're listening in Care in County Tipperary. I am, yeah. Okay, we're reaching out a long way today. And what would you do with the money uh, if you got it? That uh, fabulous 200 euro voucher from Michelle the Jewellers. Yeah, I'd, try, I'd give it to my mum as well because you, you can't buy her a present so it'd be easier just to bring her down and let her pick out something for herself. Oh, fantastic. So. Yeah. yeah, spend it on your mum. Okay. Well, you're, it, uh, yeah. Both of your hearts are in the right place. Uh, Orla's first. I've got 13 cards in front of me. Uh, pick a number between 1 and 13, Orla, please. Um, I'll pick 12 oh, my son is 12 on Tuesday, so... Okay, okay. I'm just gonna, <laughs> rather than count out 12, I'm going to go to the second last one which is number 12, okay? Because the last one is 13. That's the last one. It's a single card. And this is number 12. It's the Eight of Diamonds. Okay? So uh, it's the highest card wins. I'm going to shuffle them up again, go back to Laura O'Gorman and uh, ask you to pick a number as well. Got a fairly good chance here, maybe 50-50. Okay. Um, Pick a number. I go one. 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 The first one on the top. Yeah. Here we go. And it is the King of Diamonds. So, Laura O'Gorman, you are the winner. You can spend it on your uh, on your mum. Orla O'Connor, I'm sorry, uh, in Ballyfehan, but keep no trying it. You never know. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks very Thank much. you. Thanks a million, Laura. Happy Christmas, thanks. Orla, and thanks. to Laura. Thank you very much. That is with Thank Michelle you. the Jewellers, over 60 years in business in Cork. It's a family-run business. Bespoke jewellery for any occasion. And if you want to do some pre-shopping and some online research, you can do it at michellejewellers.ie, where you'll get all the details. We'll play Diamonds Are Forever again, that little clip, tomorrow between 11 and 12 midday. Give you a few chances to, to hear it first, just to make sure you know what you're listening to. And then we'll play the head-to-head uh, diamond game and the 200 euro voucher being the uh, the prize of note there. With thanks to Michelle, the jewellers. That's our programme for today. Very busy one. Lots of texts and comments uh, to get to tomorrow morning. Well, yeah, thanks to the uh, wonderful Neil Prendival Show uh, production crew, which is uh, Kevin and uh, Seamus and to Claire as well. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.